where and how you could be affected next on the show. If you or your partner earns more than 50 grand, then you won't get as much child benefit from today. Are the new rules fair, or are hard-working families being punished? And the new celebrity diving programme, Splash, is being filmed in Luton. The cards on the table, I didn't see it. Saturday night, I was in bed at 10 to 7. 10 to... No, hang on, 10 to 8. I'll give, give me a... Yes, I know. <laughs> Don't pull faces at me, Paul Scoynes, yeah, political no. reporter. <laughs> 10 to 8, I was in bed. Um, and I, I missed Splash. But I turned on my phone the next morn, and boy, oh boy, was uh, Twitter full of venom and hatred for it. Uh, did you see it? Did you enjoy it? Is it an embarrassment, or is it going to put Luton on the map? Lots of ways to get in touch. You can go to the Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. Uh, you can send us a text, 81333, starting your text, 3CR. Or you can give us a call on the telephone. There are a couple of lines free now. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. The reason I was in bed at 10 to 8 on Saturday night, Paul Scoynes, political reporter, you're, my, oh, that, you're that one, aren't you? Oh, I'm a green. Yeah, there we go. Uh, is I took my little boy to see Mr Maker in pantomime in St Albans. Of course. It was an exhausting experience, was to there, say the least. Was yes. there lots of, oh no, there isn't. Oh, there yes, wasn't there is. that much. In fact, there wasn't any, oh no, there isn't. There was a little bit of he's behind you. Well... That's a pantomime for yeah, you. But there was no, oh, no, he isn't. Well, oh, no, there isn't. I, I, I think I, you've got grounds to get some money back, actually. Well, I would have grounds to get some money back if I hadn't have got a free ticket. <laughs> and then we got, me and my boy got mentioned as well in the show. Wow. You know, they did that bit where we said, we've got some birthdays. It wasn't either of our birthdays, but we got <laughs> mentioned. <laughs> did you put your name down saying that it was your birthday, too? I may have, I may have done such a thing to impress my son. Hey. Yes, who knows? And it worked. It worked. Now, listen, we have some serious issues that, that we're, we're talking about. As demand for housing grows, you may be worried about how the area in which you live is going to change in the future. Well, today, Central Bedfordshire Council starts a consultation to build thousands of new homes. All over the three counties, councils are drawing up new plans for the number of houses that should be built over the next 20 years. It follows the scrapping of government targets a couple of years ago, which has meant councils have had to change their plans. So, will we see parts of the three counties becoming a concrete jungle? Political reporter Paul Scoynes is here, but how many are we talking about, Paul? Quite a lot, Ian, actually. We're looking at around, according to our figures, 175,000 homes in the three counties. Wow. But it's just over the next sort of 20 years or so. That is a lot. It is a lot. When you think about the population of three counties, probably somewhere in the region of two million. So you're looking at quite, that's a sizable chunk. Yes. Um, we've done some individual breakdowns. We've, got, we've asked all of the councils to submit some sort of targets if they can. And the thing is, they can't in a lot of places because they're still working them out. But right. Bedford... Uh, say that according to their plans it's going to be around 16,000 new Over homes. the next 20 years? Over the next 20 right. years, yeah. Uh, Milton Keynes, 28,000 new homes. Central Beds, again, as I say, you, you mentioned that they begin a consultation. That's for 28,000 new homes. And in Hertfordshire... All of the district councils have got their own little plans, but the highest that I could find was well in Hatfield, over 10,000 homes. Wow. So big numbers, and as I say, lots of these uh, councils are beginning to consult on these, on these huge numbers. Uh, but these numbers have changed, haven't they, recently? Yes, that's right. There used to be these things called regional agencies. Now, they would be uh, a, a, an agency which would look after the east of England or the southeast of England, mm. or, you know, so on. Uh, 
they were scrapped and they had previously set targets to councils to build certain numbers so under the last government we had these bodies Milton Keynes had a target of 44,000 homes right uh, Luton and Dunstable that was uh, around 26,000 homes Bedford under 20,000 so those numbers seem to have come down a little bit from the targets mm. that were originally there however it's not as easy just to say they've reduced all their targets um, because some of the councils are still making up their minds about how many they're going to have now in our area it's a bit more complicated because Bedford used to be a county council it's now split into three mm. bedford borough you've got loot and you've got central beds as well and all of them are making up their their decisions over the next few weeks and months and michael stonnell uh, stonnell sorry he's a resident of sundon uh, in central bedfordshire now his back garden would overlook any of these new developments on the green belt i'm very concerned about the development and uh, where it might uh, be located relative to where we are now at the moment, there are plans for the, a, a great deal of number of houses as well as um, a major road linking the proposed M1 Junction 12A and the A6. And standing here looking out onto the Greenbelt area and this very, very superb view, that's going to be blocked and interrupted by looking at a, a modern effectively what will be a modern housing estate it's not just residents worried though is it councils are, th- are concerned as well that's right i mean under the old system they were very concerned that they were getting these sort of numbers forced on them uh, but plans for the new homes were revealed in hertfordshire at the end of last year and they were over six thousand to the southwest of hitch and over nine thousand around stephen should mention those ten thousand around well in hatfield as well and uh, we've spoken to the lib dem leader on north hearts district council steve jarvis mm. he's worried that the housing growth won't be spread evenly across across the district i think the problem uh, that still exists is that in many cases people may say well you could build some houses on that site but but not to the complete extent of it i think that applies particularly to the north stevenage one to northeast stevenage which you know, potentially could be very big and would have, cause enormous problems uh, and and to the the southwest of hitchin one the notion that you have to build all 6000 houses southwest of Hitchin or none doesn't seem very sensible but the council I don't think is going to give people the chance to respond in that way I think you've got to say you like site A or you like site B and that, I don't think this will be what people what people see it uh, well, later on, we're talking to an expert who says there's not enough housing, full stop. Yeah, that's right. We're going to speak to a, a group called the Policy Exchange. Now, they're a right-leaning think tank, and they think there should be more housing, and actually that the planning system is holding it up. Uh, they say that councils have actually dropped their targets since these government figures was, were abolished just a couple of years ago uh, by 57% across the country. So they say that that means that the system's too strict. Now, of course, there are reasons why the house building has slowed mm. in this area you've got the credit crunch and that's meant that the credit the credit crunch it rings a bell yes yeah, i'll google it you, you may have heard of yes uh, it uh, they they uh, the councils that is say that the targets were seen as a ceiling uh, rather than minimums as well so what you mean is that, that they they were building perhaps fewer than they should have done even though they thought they could have built more if you see that doesn't make any sense actually now i've written it um <laughs> 
<laughs> they've also uh, they were saying it's, it wasn't a minimum that yeah, they, that was that's yeah, right, a rough yeah, exactly. figure. The, the, the numbers wasn't a sort of a maximum they could have built beyond yes. that. That's what the policy exchanges are saying. And they've also said that unless these uh, planning rules are are adhered to and changed uh, to meal mean that more houses can be built, that the coalition will preside over quote the worst housing record in modern times. And they say that they know that lots of areas are desperate for housing. Luton, uh, for example, is one of those places we've heard about how desperate they are to squeeze houses onto any land that they've got and they'll be making some tough decisions again in the coming months. Paul Scoyne, thank you very much. As well as being the political uh, correspondent, you're also our reality TV correspondent. Mm, did mm. you watch Splash at the weekend? I did, I did actually. Did yeah. you enjoy it? Thumbs up or thumbs down? Well, I thought it was, you know, it was quite positive to see swimming on primetime television. Uh, it was odd to see one of the national coaches on the judging panel. It felt far, yeah. r- rather uh, uncomfortable. However, my wife, who's a pretty good judge of these things, said, we're not watching this. Wow. She said, you said I'd, I'd been watching for about five minutes. She said, no, no, we're not watching. Wives, wives, no, my wife hated it. Mm. I was asleep when it was on. Well, did you watch it? Thank you for that, Paul. Excellent stuff, although. Did you watch it? Are you affected by the changes taking place to the, the, the child benefit? Families with one per- parent earning more than £50,000 lose part of their child benefit and it will be fully withdrawn where one parent earns above £60,000. 08459 455 555. Give us a call about that. Starts tonight. I'm going to be listening eagle-eared. I believed. Eagle-eared. 08459 455 555. Child, uh, changes to child benefit uh, take effect today. More than a million better-off families will lose some or all of their child benefit under, under changes which come into force uh, at midnight. Families with one parent earning more than £50,000 lose part of their child benefit. It'll be fully withdrawn where one parent earns above £60,000. 08459 455 555. Andrew's in Bedford. Morning, Andrew. Morning, Ian. What, what do you make on this? Well, I think that child benefits should be scrapped altogether. Because uh, it's uh, right. wrongly used. As, as you mean in the interview with that lady earlier, she th- seemed to think that child benefit was there to provide a more extravagant uh, Christmas for her children. I suppose that means with expensive presents. That's the basic concept behind child benefit is that just the basic rearing of children. It's not to provide them with the little luxuries of life. And uh, poorer, poorer parents are encouraged to have more children to, to get more benefits. And they don't actually spend them on children in most cases. I mean, they spend them on extra cigarettes and satellite TVs and things like that. So I, I don't know... It be scrapped altogether. All right, listen, I get the child benefit, and I don't, I don't deserve it. I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't, uh, lose, wouldn't miss it when it goes, and I'm not that bothered about it, and it's silly that we get paid it. But there are some families... Uh, that really do need... I think it's 150 quid a year or 200 quid a year, something like that. There are some families that do need that. Oh, it's over 1,000 a year, is it? Wow, there you go. It's a lot more than that. It's, wow. It's over 1,500 a year. Oh, blimey. Oh, in that case, right. It's but there are some okay. families that need that, though, don't they? That, that are, that, 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 for whatever reasons, do need a little bit of help with the kids. Uh, yeah, but, I mean, there could, there could be um, special circumstances where, where extra payments be made. But I don't know if a universal benefit... I mean, you hear stories about these people having lots and lots of children. I mean, they're just taking yeah. the taxpayer for a ride, expecting them to fund all their children. I mean, it's over £100 a month. I mean, there's, there's a programme on this week about a woman who's having her 16th child. So that's costing the taxpayer £1,600 a month. Andrew, the changes, the changes in, the, in the, the rules here say that if you earn over 60 grand... Uh, then you lose altogether, you lose yeah. it altogether. But if you've got two parents that one earns forty and the other earns forty, they still get it. Yeah, that's, I mean, that, that's the thing. I mean, there was an example I was watching the news this morning on the BBC. I mean, you can two parents together can earn ninety eight thousand, 
and they, they'll, they'll still get it. Because they're below the threshold. But, Andrew, Andrew uh, do you really... Do you he scraps it all together. Yeah. I mean, even these rich parents, I mean, you, yes. you see them. I mean, yeah. there's, there's stories about, um, I mean, um, some of them may be anecdotal, but, I mean, there was one about a, a woman in the post office queue talking to another one, she was collecting her child benefits. She said, oh, what are you buying the children out of it? She, she said, oh, no, we don't spend it on the children. We buy ourselves a nice bottle of wine every week. I, I mean, Andrew, do you, you said I mean, earlier on... I an anecdotal, but... Yes. I, I think, I mean... As the old saying goes, if you can't feed them, then don't breed them. And as Andrew, I said to your Andrew, uh, person who answered the phone, yes. young chap... Can you hear me? Um, it, I mean, that saying... Yes. It, it, it's true, I mean... Andrew, uh, Andrew, don't have any Andrew. Children sh- coming sh- You've sold Andrew, the housing problem. Can you, there won't be as many adults in the future. Andrew, can you hear me? Yeah. Good. Uh, d- you said earlier on that you think there are, there are families that are encouraged to have kids because of the benefits. Yes. Do you really believe that? I know it. Because you, you know, know families Because you know how expensive... Do you know how expensive kids are? Benefits don't cover kids, the cost of kids. They help, they yeah, don't cover I the mean, cost. These, these figures about kids and that. But, I mean, that, that is, is, is cloud cuckoo land. I mean, you, parents... I mean, if parents... If those figures were correct, then nobody uh, earning less than a quarter of a million pound a year could afford children, quite frankly. Andrew, I'm not quite sure what figures you're referring to, but thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. What do you think? Do you agree with Andrew and Bedford there? We said we should just scrap child benefit altogether. Uh, do you think that these changes in the law go far enough? Would you like to see more? If you're going to be affected by this, how do you feel? Are you a little bit worried, a bit concerned? Oh, wait, it shows how much I know about the home finance. I've got no idea. My wife deals with all that stuff. Uh, 08459 People say, don't they, oh, yeah, these people living on benefits, they're encouraged to have kids. Really? I don't think benefits actually cover the cost of kids. Kids are well expensive. I watched a little bit of Elvis over the weekend. I watched some of that. Um, that's the way it is. I like, I like Elvis. I don't like 50s Elvis. I think he's rubbish. Uh, I don't like 60s Elvis. I like 68 to 74. Before he got too fat and a parody of himself. Then, wonderful stuff. Wonderful stuff, uh, indeed. Now, it was a big day in Luton Town's history as they triumphed over Championship Team Wolves to gain a place in the FA Cup fourth round. They can now look forward to a trip to Norwich. Just in case you missed any of the action, here's a brief reminder. Football, excitement, goals, disappointment, heartbreak, tears. Well, Justin Dealey, BBC Three Counties football reporter when it comes to uh, Luton Town. Justin Dealey was there. Justin, was the atmosphere electric? Oh, Ian, happy new year. What a day at Kenilworth Road on Saturday. It was like going back in time. It really was like going into a time machine. The atmosphere was incredible. Uh, the shock of the round. Luton Town back on the front pages of all the newspapers yesterday. It was just a great feeling. Norwich away now in the fourth round. Yes, it's a Premier League side. I think a, a lot of people wanted a Manchester United, a yeah. Chelsea, a Tottenham at home. But they're still playing a Premier League opposition, and it's all about the money. For winning that game on Saturday, they got over £60,000. Wow. It's a lot of money if they can beat Norwich. An extra ninety grand in the bank. And how so much does that mean to a team like Luton? It means everything, because you, you've got to think, you know, football finances, it's very, very tight right now. Luton Town, uh, their ambition this season is to get back into the Football League. If they can keep on 
gaining money like this, they can spend that on players, hopefully, this month in the January transfer window and ultimately get promotion back to the Football League, which is key for the club. Do they stand a chance against Norwich? Um, on paper, absolutely no chance whatsoever, but um, it was the same on Saturday as well. You've got to go back to the 1980s for the last time a non-league side beat a top-flight side. So that tells you how tough it's going to be, but it's the FA Cup. It's the magic of the FA Cup, and you just never know. Uh, Justin, whereabouts are you off to today? What are you up to? Well, I'm outside the Luton Sports Village in Spire, the home of Splash, your favourite TV show here. I missed it, and I'm, I'm keen to see it now, because apparently it was a stinker. Do you know what? I saw it on Saturday. It was absolutely terrible, scraping the barrel. I loved it. I absolutely <laughs> loved it. Good for <laughs> you. Well done. With you. But, uh, of course, here, it is going to cause disruption. Uh, this facility costs £26 million. People coming out already giving me their reaction. This is George. I spoke to him a few moments ago, and he gave me his reaction to the programme. Rubbish. That bad? Yes, I thought so. Okay, and as a user here, what's your reaction to the fact that facilities obviously can't be used as much whilst the filming's taking place? Well, it's uh, daylight robbery. You're not happy about this, are you? No, no, no. No, I pay every month, and um, I'm being robbed of the facility. So, the views there of George. Yeah, people are not happy <laughs> I like already. George. Yep, yep, your George reaction? is good. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. <laughs> um, so, he's inside there now going for a swim. But, you know, two ways of looking at this, Ian. Yes. Uh, people are going to be disrupted, yes. But, you know, let's look at this on a positive note. On Saturday, you had the, the Luton Town FA Cup game. Uh, also, this TV show, Luton was trending on Twitter. But for the right or wrong reasons, well, I would say for the right reasons. With the football and this marvellous facility, if it's here, let the people of Great Britain know that Luton has got one of the best facilities in the country but of course George he would disagree with one that one of the things I know we, we, we're running out of time but I, I, I say that, that um, swimming pools do lose councils a lot of money so yeah. anything that they can do to get a bit of extra cash to ensure that swimming pool stays there th- that's got to be a good thing isn't it well that's true and also uh, Hazel Simmons the leader of Luton Borough Council said look you know uh, this is great news for the town because it could bring extra money to local businesses via sponsorship as well so all in all as far as the council are concerned and this is a council-run building, they're saying this is positive for the town, certainly not negative. Are you staying there all morning, Justin? I'll be here all morning in my speedos. We will sit... Oh, oh dear. What an image. <laughs> Sorry, completely caught me off guard there. Pantomimes, 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 Catherine oh. Boyle. You, uh, I went to see Mr Maker in St Albans. It was flipping brilliant. <laughs> I absolutely loved it. It was hilarious. Barry from EastEnders was in it. Uh, it was, although they didn't have any... Uh, oh no, oh yes you did, oh no you didn't. Oh, didn't they? They didn't do that. Oh, what a shame. Which I thought was odd. You went to see uh, Louis Spence in Milton yeah, Keynes. Yeah, we were up to our eyes and oh no you didn't, oh yes you did. There was no he's behind you though, surprisingly. Thanks very much. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh dear. We had, um, we had he's behind you. Well, it was mummies, there were mummies. They're behind you. Um, but I love pantomime. My wife hates it. She thinks it's just, it just appeals to the lowest common denominator. But I went with my little boy, who's going to be three in a couple of weeks, and it was his first pantomime. He was completely... He didn't, he didn't quite know what to make of it. But we had a fantastic time. We got mentioned by Mr Maker, and then we went to the stage door. If you've not, if you've not got kids who are sort of six or under, you'll have no idea who Mr Maker is, OK? But he's brilliant. He's um, the, uh, the modern-day Tony Hart or the modern-day Neil Buchanan. Does that make it easier for you to understand? Uh, and he's brilliant, OK? And we went to the stage door so that my boy could meet him. 
and he was being mobbed. It was like, it, there was like Bieber fever there. There were literally a dozen young children standing there, having their picture taken. And what a nice man Mr Maker is. Absolutely fantastic. Loved it. Coming up in the next 30 minutes of the show, new rules for child benefit come into effect today. Do you think they're fair? Or are they just punishing hard-working families? 08459 455 555. And did you watch the new reality show Splash? I missed it. And I'm gutted I missed it because, uh, you know when you turn on your phone and go to Twitter and th- th- there are, it says, 100 tweets and everybody has been mentioning and talking about a show saying it's bad, you know you've missed something classy. Uh, celebrities competing in a diving competition at a pool in Luton. Was the programme an embarrassment to the town, or will it put Luton on the map? Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR, 81333, start your text 3CR, or there's a couple of lines free, give us a call now, 08459 455 555. Oh, that's not, it's nice, isn't it? I mean, you want something a bit more on a Monday morning, you want a bit of that's more of a sort of Sunday afternoon, Saturday evening kind of uh, song, but still, it's lovely, I'm not going to complain about it. Uh, Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You're, you're up early, aren't you? You don't mind? You've gone on there to talk about Splash. Catherine says, I didn't learn anything from it, and I didn't feel better for watching it. But my children enjoyed it, and we could all sit and watch it together. So, yes, I'll be watching it again. Good Saturday night TV. Now, I didn't see it, and I'm always slightly wary of um, commentators being rude about TV shows they haven't seen. So I'm kind of, you know, I'm treading carefully here. Uh, but from what I've heard, there wasn't much action. You've got, what, four or five celebs diving. Now, a dive takes six seconds, and you've got a 90-minute TV show. How do you feel that? Hosted by the excellent Vernon Kay, and I say this without a hint of irony, I think Vernon Kay is fantastic. I think he's brilliant. Uh, and he's, he's grossly underused. He's he moved to the ITV. Bit of a mistake, I think. Uh, he's, he's grossly underused, and... <sighs> Could Vernon work his magic on this? Joe says, I did wonder why so many lights were shining from inside the swimming pool on the way to work. Now I know, I'm totally disinterested. Too many celeb programmes from producers who have no imagination about what to put on TV. Good quality TV is dead. No wonder all the reruns are being put back on. I won't be watching the new celeb diving. And Tammy says... Uh, Why do we need yet another celebrity programme? Especially as these programmes seem to use people who are hardly celebrities, more like Z-listers who are desperate for work. This isn't real television. It's just mindless titillation for the masses. What happened to the real programme makers? I'll tell you why the Z-listers are doing it. Because uh, to to appear on a Saturday night uh, show like that on ITV, they would have been paid quite handsomely. I don't know, five grand, ten grand? Now, when figures like that are mentioned, you'd do it, wouldn't you? You jump into a swimming pool for five grand, ten grand, probably even more. Omid Jalili. So who was on there? Helen Lederer. Omid Jalili. Someone from the, the Saturdays. And I don't know who else. It does... It sounds like the kind of rubbish that I would like. Did you watch it? Splash. Any good? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. Was it an embarrassment? Now, if you or your partner earns more than £50,000, you're going to lose part of your child benefit. If one of you earns above (coughs) £60,000, excuse me, it will be fully withdrawn. It's because of changes which come into effect at midnight. The government hopes to save £1.5 billion a year to help reduce the deficit. But how will it impact you? 
reporter Serena Farrow spoke to parents in Harpenden and St Albans. We're very typically the squeeze middle. We pay for everything. We're entitled to nothing. Child benefit was the only thing we received from the state. That's gone now. But my real concern is that working parents who are entitled to child benefit have their pension payments protected for as long as they're in receipt of child benefit. If you're no longer in receipt of child benefit, you're no longer entitled to pension protection and that by stealth will push a lot of non-working mothers stay-at-home mothers out of the pension system and a lot of mothers will find that when they get to the age of 65 we're not entitled to a pension because we weren't in receipt of child benefit we had child benefit when we were kids you know my mum always used to pay for everything for us at child benefit and you know we pay our taxes just like everyone else but i think that the pension thing is obviously a bit of a concern i was probably using that money for savings anyway so it just means you won't get so much for savings everyone's got to make cut back somewhere and everyone's going to make a complaint whoever they focus on I thought it was a bonus that I got it at the time you know living here it's expensive you know everything and we've got four children and we use it for their activities and how much roughly will you be losing in a month? £242 yeah so all their little extras all the activities and things they do it's going to hit us hard well Liz Blower lives in Bedfordshire she thinks it's completely unfair I'm the sole breadwinner my husband's been unemployed for 11 months and I've got two children under the age of six and it does help greatly but because of my salary they won't give him job seekers they won't help with our council tax they won't help with our rent we get nothing from the government and they're about to take my child benefit and that's all because you earn well substantial amount amount, yeah Yeah. do earn a good salary of sixty thousand pounds over the band that they're going to cut to we're comfortable we're okay but it's an issue and i'm not happy well and i don't think it should apply to necessarily what you earn as a home but what each child requires and also what the individual circumstances are. So you think it should be assessed on the individual case? Absolutely. I know they have to, you know, a certain guideline in place for families. I understand certain families need it more than others. But, you know, we pay our taxes, he's paid his taxes, and he still doesn't get anything from the government. It will just mean that we'll have to cut back on, you know, outings to the cinema or going shopping, and Christmas wasn't as extravagant as it should have been, but we knew this was happening. When you hear it like that, though, we'll have to cut back on visits to the cinema... I don't think child benefit is to go and see Life of Pi 3D. It, it isn't, is it? it? It's to pay for clothes and food and shoes and things. It's not... For Christmas, we, well, we had a bit of a tough cutback on Christmas. Yeah, child benefit isn't for Christmas. That's Liz, in, Liz Blower in Bedfordshire. What do you think about that? 08459 455 555. The Prime Minister told the Andrew Marshall on BBC One at the weekend that the government had to cut its spending. You cannot deal with the deficit just by taking more in tax from the very richest, although we are, or, nor can you deal with the deficit just by uh, combating welfare fraud mm. and evasion and, and, and excessive welfare at the bottom. You need to make sure that everyone is making their contribution. This mm. will raise £2 billion a year. Now, if we don't raise that £2 billion from that that group of people, the better off 15% in the country, we'd have to find somewhere else to take it. Well, today I'd like to hear from you. Are the changes to child benefit fair, or are they just punishing hard-working families? Uh, I it's interesting, isn't it? There, there are families that are struggling. Then you hear Liz, who we, we, we just played a clip of then, saying, well, we'll have to cut down on trips to the cinema. Uh, yeah, the, the child benefit isn't for that. Child benefit is for people who are struggling to feed and clothe their kids. Have we got any sleepwalkers listening to the show? I tell you why. My wife woke me sleepwalking. I only had a few hours sleep. Um, I didn't get to bed till very late. 
and uh, suddenly I found I was sleeping in the loft, and suddenly I found myself on the, uh, the outside my the, the wife's bedroom, as it were. And she says, "Ian, what are you doing?" I'm going to work. What in your pants at quarter past one in the morning? Ah, yeah. Talked about it after this. It's the first time I've ever listened to the lyrics to that song. I don't think it is about cricket. I think it might be about drugs. I think it might be. I don't know what on earth is Dreadlock Holiday about. They give the impression it's about cricket and reggae. I think it's about drugs. So anyway, I nearly turned up for work in my pants really early. I got to bed at 12, for whatever reason, and suddenly... I'm downstairs in my pants and my wife wakes up because where, where are you going, Ian? I'm going off to work. What, quarter past one? In your pants? I don't think so. And I was like, uh, oh, yeah, no, I know. I kind of woke up and caught sight of what I was doing on it. Oh, yeah. And I'm just going, I'm just going back to bed. And I went back to bed. Are you, I, I like sleepwalking. I haven't done it for a long, long time. And the few times I've done it, I've been sort of aware of what I'm doing. I remember once bursting in on my parents when they were fast asleep. I thought they were watching TV, so I went in their room to watch TV. That's how I remember it. And after half an hour, I said, all right, I'm going to go off back to bed now. See you later. Bye. The way they remember it is I burst into their room at half past three in the morning, turned on their telly, sat on the end of the bed, and they were terrified. Are you a sleepwalker? Could you give us a call? Or is a member of your family a sleepwalker? 08459... Four double five, five double five. I love it. The human brain is weird, isn't it? Particularly when it's not quite there. Oh wait, four five nine, four double five, five double five. Speaking of human brains that are not quite there, Splash. Did you see it at the weekend? I didn't. Cards on the table. Uh, I'm going to be watching it. It's being filmed in Luton. The Inspire Centre swimming pool will be closed for the next four weekends to make way for the celebrity diving programme. Splash, which features Olympic diver Tom Daly, used the pool for the first programme this weekend and will host the rest of the live... Oh, it's live! Oh, I didn't realise. That makes it even better. It will host the rest of the live broadcasts on four successive weekends until the 2nd of February. Well, Dave Mingay from the National Union of Teachers joins us now. Morning, Dave. Good morning. You're concerned about this show, are you? I am. I, I, I don't really... I'm not quite sure how it fits in an Olympic legacy that we're trying to promote. Well, it's, it's bringing um, uh, minority sports diving to a wider audience and encouraging people to take part. Well, you can talk about participation and increasing participation. At the same time this show's being filmed, the next four weekends, dive lessons that inspire have been cancelled. Uh, it, it is a well-known fact that um, council-owned swimming pools, they, they cost money, they don't make money. So surely, if the, the TV company are prepared to pay what I assume are big bucks to the council, that's got to be a good thing, hasn't it? If, if it means the pool is going is, is to stay there, it's going to be, be open. Well, the, the pool's only just been opened, so you, you can talk about running costs, where it's a cause concern, where it's making money. It's a very new pool, and other pools are closed in the town to make way for this brand new and it's a very impressive facility an impressive swimming pool but really if Tom Day is going to come to Luton and promote diving he should be promoting it with the community and offering free diving lessons or offering you know doing more of a road show type thing rather than trying to make money at the expense of the people Dave, of Luton why should Tom Daly who's a, a, a handsome talented young man who's got a whole future ahead of him in, in terms of diving and probably television presenting why should he offer free diving lessons to oiks like you and me you could say why, why is he standing in, uh, why is he filming a TV program trying to make more money out of himself? It's a nice thing to do. He's why entitled to make money it? out of himself, though, isn't he? Sorry? He's entitled to make money out of himself. 
Well, of course he is, but he's making money out of himself at the expense of the community of Luton. Luton was mentioned on national TV, and the show got about six million viewers. So that, that's got to be good for the community, hasn't it? Yeah, but if you live in Newcastle, you're not exactly going to come down to Luton and go swimming, are you? No, but if you live in St Albans, you might do. If you live in Bedford, you might do. Well, as someone who does live in Bedford, it's quite a trek just to go swimming. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the centre itself just does promote itself, but you know, when you're when you're cancelling lessons, cancelling swimming lessons and diving lessons for the community, for children uh, as well as adults, then really I don't quite see the benefits. Luton has a pretty um, poor image uh, from people outside of Luton. Um, th- this will improve it, won't it? It'll give it a positive image. You get to see the new fantastic facilities. Uh, gets to see that it's a, a centre of, of, of sporting achievement. Maybe for the next few weeks, but after that, it'll be it'll be a dim and distant memory. I mean, by, by all accounts, the show wasn't very good. I, I personally didn't watch it. It's not really my cup of tea. Uh, by all accounts, it wasn't very good. People I know watched it, so it wasn't very good. Didn't get very good reviews in the press. So really, he's making a very bad TV programme in Luton. Dave, listen, you didn't watch it, and I didn't watch it. Here's a deal. We watch it, we both watch it the weekend, we talk on Monday, because we might love it! Uh, I'll, I'll just see you in. I'll watch it at the weekend. There we go. We're going to thank Dave Mingay. Thank you very much from the National Union of, uh, of Teachers. We're going to watch it. I'm going to watch it in the weekend. It does sound, it sounds awful, but it sounds brilliant at the same time. And I like those kind of shows. And swimming pools cost a lot of. I know this is a brand new facility, but they cost a lot of money to run. They don't make money. They they cost the council money. So surely any, the pools close for four weekends. Really. Who's really going to go swimming? Who's going to take their kids swimming on one of the first weekends in January? Really? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Saying that, on Friday I was talking about our local gym here at BBC Three Counties Radio. I went there on Friday. I'm going to go and join today, and I'm going to go for a swim. I've got my swimmers in my bag. Got my swimmers in there. Although I've not used them since the summer. And I got them out of the, my uh, cupboard. And they're, they're all down the leg. There's a big white stain. It's sun cream. Yeah, I know. It doesn't look like sun cream, though. Oh, and that doesn't sound like the travel bed, whereas this does. Thank you, Catherine. Good morning. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. Do you remember Christmas? It was ages ago, wasn't it? That was like forever ago. The New Year! Wow! It's already the 7th of January 2013. Who'd have thought we'd live so long? Lots coming up between now and 9 o'clock, including tens of thousands more homes could be built across the three counties. Find out where and how you might be affected next on the show. You heard in the news there, if you're disabled, you may be struggling to get a taxi to stop for you. A Hertfordshire charity says drivers often see wheelchair users, but just fly on by. And our reporter, Justin Dealey, will be joining us live from the Inspire Centre swimming pool in Luton. It's where the new reality show Splash was filmed. What did you think of the show? Good fun or an embarrassment to the town? Lots of ways to get in touch. Loads of you using Facebook this morning. Great. It's good. Facebook's good because you can go on there. You can have an argument with the other listeners. Don't be rude. Don't, don't, don't get into personal slangy matches. But be forthright. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. You can send us a text as well. 81333. Starting your text 3CR. Or you can give us a call. A couple of lines free now. 08459 455555. BBC Three Counties Radio. 
I'm keen to speak to you as well if you or a member of your family is a sleepwalker. I did it last night. And it was, it was very strange. I was going to work at quarter past one in my pants. And thank God my wife woke up. She said, Ian, what are you doing? I'm, I'm going to work. What, quarter past one in your underwear? Oh, yeah, no, I'm just going back to bed. One, if, if you or a member of your family do it, give us a call. 08459 555555. What's the furthest you've ever got? Have you actually left the house? I could quite easily see myself leaving the house and just wandering down the street. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Now today, Central Bedfordshire Council begins its consultation on plans to build more than twenty eight thousand homes in the area over the next twenty years. This month, councils across Beds, Hearts and Bucks will be drawing up their own plans for how many houses they will build. Uh, we'll speak to Milton Keynes Council shortly. But what does this mean for our open spaces? Around 7,000 of the houses in central Bedfordshire could be built on Greenbelt land to the north of Luton and south of the villages of Sundon and Streetly. Well, our reporter, Tony Fisher, has been sent to Sundon to see the impact on residents there. I'm standing in uh, a back garden of uh, Michael Stonnell's house in Upper Sundon, out looking towards Luton Way, which is covered in fields, all Greenbelt land, but could potentially be developed on with, what, 7,000 homes, Michael? Yes, approximately 7,000 homes, yeah. And the the back view here is very attractive, a nice sea of green, as it were. You've got your chickens in the back garden. Yeah. Um, what you don't want to see is uh, a huge, great, massive development just, just beyond that field, do you? Yes, no, I'm very concerned about the development and uh, where it might uh, be located relative to where we are now. At the moment, there are plans for the, a, a great deal of number of houses as well as um, a major road linking the proposed M1 Junction 12A and the A6. And standing here looking out onto the Greenbelt area and this very, very superb view, that's going to be blocked and interrupted by looking at a, a modern, effectively what will be a modern housing estate um, and also the new road that depending upon its size will perhaps have uh, be lit up and there'll be light pollution in the evenings and, and later night it, as well. It will effectively yeah. completely dominate this, 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 this landscape, won't it? Yes, it will. It will. In my opinion, it will obscure the view of Sundon, Sundon Wood at the moment and as of now there's no indication whether, as far as I understand it, as to whether Sundon Wood would actually exist or how much of it may be um, uh, not only subsumed but taken down for the housing. And all the road, yeah. yeah. But this is all Greenbelt out here, yes. so you've got concerns about the fact that they could potentially build on Greenbelt as well? Yes, I have got concerns. Effectively, what's in order for this proposed development to go ahead, um, the council would have had to have removed the land from the greenbelt in the in the first place in order to be able to uh, build on it. So that would be the proposal of the council uh, would be to remove the land from greenbelt and then build the houses on it. Now, if that happens, uh, my concern is well. 
what other green belt are they going to um, want want to want to build on? And once there's a be, the council have used a, re, a reasonable basis for uh, taking this land out for this for this new development, then in my view it makes it easier for them to come back and say, well, we want some more green belt taken out. Potentially, you could have a development almost up to your back garden. Oh yes. I mean, a, yeah, yeah. There, there, there is there is no reason that at some point in the future um, that development can extend beyond where it's planned for the moment, in right into uh, effectively what is the bottom of my back garden. Mm. Well, that's our reporter Tony Fisher in Sundon. But with an ever-increasing demand for homes, they have to go somewhere. Later on in the show, we'll hear opposing views from the policy exchange and a housing expert. Well, Councillor Peter Geary is the Cabinet Member responsible for housing in Milton Keynes, where there are proposals to build a further 28,000 homes over the next 15 years. Morning, Peter. Morning. It's a large number. How do you go about getting that figure? Well, this is, this is, this is far more about work, work, figuring out what people want and how many we can actually realistically build um, the, um, in, in, in Milton Keynes in the coming years. So how do you come up with the number 28,000? Do you, do you, do you kind of, is, is, is there a mathematical formula? No, we're, look at, we're looking at about 1,750 homes uh, a year, mm. and that's been the case for a number of years now, and looking about how that projects forward now, obviously that's a target that we set as a council, but we don't build massive-scale housing ourselves, so it's nothing that we can, actually, we can actually do, but it gives us an idea of where we want to build. And we also, in Milton Keynes, have a formula about jobs as well, because there's absolutely no point in building um, in building um, homes if we can't if we if we haven't got jobs for people to 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 come to so that's we're interesting. So looking the, at one and a half jobs per house you've got the figures of twenty eight thousand. that's what you'd like yep. but then you're saying that's not actually up to you well i mean we, we don't build houses if, if government started to build houses we could set an exact figure of what we want to do what we have to do is to set targets mm. now we can control that by planning permissions um how many of those are issued and there's already a massive amount of planning permissions been issued in milton Keynes, but not being built um, we've got um, other ways that we can encourage people to do it, but frankly, the most important thing about people building houses is people got to buy them. Mm. Currently, it is not easy for people to buy houses. Well, I was going to say, it's very, it is difficult to, to, to buy a house. Getting a mortgage is a problem. It, it, what, what percentage is going to be affordable housing? Uh, Milton Keynes, we have we have a figure of thirty percent affordable housing um, around the um, you know around that sort of figure. So so that is that is generally the case, and that's pretty well where we'll be. Obviously, government is changing somewhat done there, but any development over fifteen houses has thirty percent of that as affordable housing. We're talking about large scale developments on the whole in this, so about thirty. Peter, how far ahead do councils think? Because when Milton Keynes was planned, Keynes was planned in the sixties. Were the planners thinking as far forward as 2013? No, they well, no, they weren't. They, 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 were, they were thinking that they had a master plan. That master plan has now expired. But we work forward certainly to 2026 and beyond that away as well. So what we're looking at is 28,000 homes between a couple of years ago and 2026. We, we heard uh, in that report from uh, uh, Tony Fisher concerns about building on Greenbelt land. How do you ensure you balance a need for housing with environmental concerns? Well, Milton Keynes is a bit different in the fact that we are an expanding area and there are areas that were deemed for housing many years ago, um, so we don't get into the issue about building on Greenbelt land, but we have areas on our periphery that are having that issues. And 
this is where the removal of regional spatial strategies is a good thing because this allows local people to make their choices. It doesn't allow government or a regional government who we've never voted for and don't understand to, to make decisions. This allows local people to say it. And as you say, it's gone rotation today. So it's about people being able to stand up and say, we want houses here because of the reasons we want houses, i.e. jobs and growth and, um, and prosperity to the economy, or we don't want houses. And if so, how many houses do we want? Where do we want them? And that's important that local people have that choice, not just about some faceless bureaucrat uh, making the decision for people. And that's a, that's a really good thing. Councillor Peter Geary, thank you very much indeed. 08459 455 555. We're in the process of moving. I think, I don't know, we were supposed to move before Christmas. It's all gone quiet. I think we find out tomorrow if the, the, the person three to the left on the chain is, is had their mortgage approved and then hopefully we can get a date and just do it. It's that thing when you're waiting. We're sort of half living in boxes and we can't really commit to nursery for the kids and... ah. Oh! Just want to do it. So, quick look at the front pages, shall we? The Guardian, Cameron and Clegg to renew their vows with sense of shared purpose. Um, new measures on childcare head range of policies for second half of Parliament. 105 private firms to treat NHS patients and months of protest leaves Belfast fearful of escalating violence. Uh, the Times, how to lose your paunch in four weeks? Come on! I thought we weren't going to have any of these ridiculous diet and exercise regimes. Come on! God said, stop eating bread. That's how you do it. Don't eat bread or pasta. It'll go straight away. Um, there's a picture of there of um, uh, 96 empty seats at Hillsborough in memory of uh, those who died, of course. Um, yeah. And the big society is dead, charities tell Cameron. Midterm review must renew commitment. The Independent. Uh, benefit cuts will see more children taken into care. Warning of economic impact on struggling households. Record numbers of children are likely to be taken away from their families this year as parents struggle to cope with the effects of public sector cuts. Uh, the Telegraph. Uh, uh, Childcare help uh, worth thousands for working mothers. And there's uh, Prince Charles holding a baby. I don't know why. I don't know why, but he is. The Daily Mail has Denise Van Outen in a bikini. Yeah, it does. Uh, the Daily Express. Super pill is key to living longer. Wow, there's a super pill? That's brilliant! It's a bit like the pill I've got that you put in a car and it means you don't need to put petrol in. Tomato-based drug can fight cancer, arthritis, diabetes, heart disease and bigotry, says the Daily Express. And the sun. Oh dear, Greg's air, child sex quiz, and there's a picture of um, um, a pop star with tattoos. Good for him. Well done indeed. Sophie Tyler, BBC, Three Counties Radio. Tyler. Mm-hmm. You strike me as the sort. Are you... No, you do. Are you a bit of a sleepwalker? Not as far as I know. Do, do you ever talk in your sleep? I... Ah. Yeah, I've been told. Ah. And I'm a bit of a wriggler as well. Sophie Tyler, thank you very much indeed. Took that into territory I wasn't prepared to go. Wowzers. Thank you, Sophie. A giant, prehistoric-looking bird. <laughs> A shoebill. Did that bird just speak in that trail? That bird said something. I was carrying the baby uh, yesterday, and I'm, I'm sure the baby said the baby said something. Now the baby's not even a year old yet, and he, 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 he can barely do da 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 ma 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 ma. But I was carrying him, and he said something, and I replied. I went, "Oh yeah, you're right." What? 
I know it was the weirdest thing. I'm sure he. I don't quite know what he said. He said something. It's like he said something like, "Oh, we're going downstairs now," which is which is a pretty complex sentence. Oh, we're going downstairs now. Yeah, you're right. Huh? Maybe I was sleepwalking then as well. It was very odd. Maybe that LSD I bought in 1987 is finally starting to kick in. Who knows? It was a very, very strange experience. Now, did you watch the new show Splash at the weekend? Basically, it's celebrities diving. I know. It sounds so obvious and so awful at the same time. It's being filmed in Luton. The Inspire Centre swimming pool is being used for the celebrity diving programme. It features Olympic diver Tom Daly. And the pool was used for the first programme this weekend. It's live. I didn't realise it's live. That's a bold thing, to do a live TV show in a swimming pool. Well, earlier on, uh, Dave Mingay from the National Union of Teachers told me he didn't think it was beneficial for the town as diving lessons have been cancelled for people who use the pool. Neither Dave nor I have seen this, and we've both said we're going to watch it this weekend and discuss it on Monday. Well, our diving correspondent, Justin Dealey, is live at Luton's Inspire Centre. Morning, Justin. Ian, good morning. As you know, I'm not quite happy about this TV show because uh, a few weeks ago, you might remember, I was here for the official opening and I did a dive bomb live on air. Next thing you know, a week later, all suddenly ITV, here's our new TV show, Splash, Celebrities Diving in Luton. It's like they've stolen your idea. They have stolen my idea and they are running with it. I'm outraged by that. No running by the pool, Justin. Or heavy petting. Absolutely. I found out what heavy petting meant. Boy, was I surprised. Ooh, uh, when, when is the competition pool going to be closed for, for Joe Public? Well, it's closed for, for quite a few days in January. So uh, this month alone, the 11th, the 12th, the 18th, the 19th, the 25th and the 26th, and then into February as well on the 1st and 2nd. And I think that's what's got people going here locally. They've waited so long for this facility, and it is a wonderful facility. It's cost £26 million, and, and suddenly we've had the official opening a few weeks ago and now it's going to be closed for uh, an ITV programme which some would say is full of Z-list celebrities but you know it does put Luton on the map. Can I just say Z-list celebrities. Omid Jalili. Yes. He's been in a James Bond film yeah, and The Mummy. Legend, yes. He, he's had his own TV series. Um, Jade Ewan. I've got no idea who she is but mm-hmm. she wears a gold bikini. <laughs> Okay. Uh, Eddie the Eagle Edwards is on this week, I think. Oh, I've watched that. That's he's for an sure. Olymp- he's an Olympic yeah, hero. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Helen Lederer. Um, it's been slated. Come on, let, let, let's be brutal. You've been honest. speaking to people this morning, haven't you? What have they been saying? Well, it's been a mixed bag, actually. I've been here since 6am this morning. This place is so, so busy. And here's a few opinions of what people have had to say. So, Kieran, you're going in for a swim right now. How often do you use these facilities here? Two or three times a week, uh, something like that. And just tell us how good the facilities are. Very good, very good. The pool's excellent. There's nothing like it in the area in terms of the quality of the water, lanes, change of facilities. Very good. Okay, that's all fantastic. So, how will this TV show affect you? Uh, Are you being told you can't use it on certain days because of the TV show? Yeah, there's two few dates in January where uh, the pool is closed and that's on the website so it's not too much of a big deal just to not be here on those days, I'll just do some other form of exercise. So you're going to take the positive and say, do you know what for a couple of days it's not a problem, this well and truly puts Luton on the map, this is great for the town Yeah, it doesn't bother me so much, yeah yeah, no problem really. And your speedos what colour? <laughs> Black <laughs> <laughs> Here's Linda and Maureen. Linda first of all, you saw the programme, your reaction? I thought it was awful, complete waste of time and a waste of Tom Daly's talents. Yeah. It's, diving is not the kind of thing you can do as a reality show. It's far too dangerous to do and I think it was wrong to do it. OK, and yourself? I agree. I thought it was dangerous, outright dangerous, particularly when... Um, 
I can't remember his name, Jake, hit the bottom. Yeah. I mean, he'd got that cut on his nose. It's, mm. it's, and the, the other guy diving from the top, yeah. when he hadn't had much training, I thought yeah. was actually <laughs> very foolhardy. Yeah. Mind you, in saying that, the guy from Benidorm in his red shorts, he was all right, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah, he did look yeah. all right. He looked all right. <laughs> he, looked all right. <laughs> he looked quite nice. But like yeah. I say, I did think it was dangerous. I thought it was, the, the act, you know, the actual acting, if you like, throughout it was pretty diabolical. Mm. I, I won't well. watch it again. One thing that might have made it more interesting was to see more of the training. Yeah, that's to see true. how they got them to that level and so quickly. Because to my mind, it was just so stupid and foolhardy. Now, madam, you haven't seen the TV show yet. You've recorded it. You're going to watch it later on. But on the whole, this has got to be good news for Luton, hasn't it? Yeah, I would hope so. Yeah, there's plenty of bad news about Luton. And I think anything that shows it in a more positive light is, has got to be good for the town. And the facilities here are absolutely fantastic. It's no wonder that a TV production company would be interested. That's right, and I think the trouble is that where there is a little bit of um, disharmony about it being used is because we've waited so long for it. What have Luton Borough Council and ITV had to say about the show, Justin? Well, Hazel Simmons, the leader of Luton Borough Council, she says having the show going out live to millions of British households every Saturday evening would mean unprecedented positive publicity for Luton, which it is so important as we look to boost the local economy by attracting new businesses and investment into the town. So all good as far as they're concerned. This is run by Active Luton on behalf of Luton Borough Council. As for ITV, a spokesman said, we are very, very pleased with the great start for Splash. And, uh, we're <laughs> yeah, not the reviews. <laughs> and we're delighted that so many people tuned in to watch. Now, uh, despite all these reviews, 6.3 million people yep. tuned in on Saturday. That was the most popular programme on Saturday Night TV. The, and let's the, face it, Tom Daly, everyone loves him, don't they? Everyone loves a bit of Tom Daly. The test is, will it get anywhere close to that on episode two? <laughs> That's the thing. But the thing is, with this type of TV, as I mentioned to you earlier on, it's the lowest of the low. It's scraping the barrel. But that sort of TV for me is entertaining. My favourite TV show is Geordie Shaw. It's ten people from Newcastle going out into into the local pubs and clubs and, and just doing funny things. I love that sort of TV. And obviously, from Saturday, the viewing figures would suggest this TV programme is going to be very popular. Love it or hate it. Now, Justin, mm. uh, someone on Twitter, a gentleman called Scott, yes. has, is a fan of yours. Oh, I've got one. Yeah, you've got <laughs> one. Got, I've got one. He's written a song about you. Oh, dear. Now, I haven't got the song here, yes. so I can't, I can't play it. I believe it might be a little bit potty-mouthed as well. Mm. But he sent me some of the lyrics. <laughs> Can I read them to you? Oh, yes, please. I love Justin Dealey from Beds, Hearts and Bucks. He's got a lovely, honest voice. Even though I love him, then I can't read the next bit. It's a bit <laughs> rude. He just acts like one of the boys. One of the boys. Gonna make him love me. Gonna make him care. Oh, that's nice. Gotta Scott, run I'm my fingers your work. through his hair. C- can we get Scott on to rap that live across <laughs> bedsides and bucks? <laughs> I'll be up for that. There's more. You don't love me, Dealey, but I love you, and I know exactly what to do. Gonna wait until you're after someone new, but I know exactly what to do. Hold on a second. It's gonna go through my phone book here. Locksmith. Okay, <laughs> change the locks. Get extra security. I'm scared. I'm very, very scared. I am gonna. Uh, uh, Scott, if you're listening, could you could you re- if you get to record that, send it in, and we'll, we'll, as long as it's clean and not too stalky, we'll um, yes. we'll play that. Thank you, Scott. <laughs>
<laughs> Would you? Is Scott the kind of person you'd like to be friends with, Justin? Um, yeah, I think so. Uh, you know, it, it just goes back to that film. What was that film where she said, "I'm your biggest fan"? You know, "I'm your biggest fan," and then she kidnapped him and broke his legs. <laughs> misery. That yes, was misery. misery. Yes, that's the one. Right, uh, let's hope it won't turn into anything like that. Justin, I would hate for you to be kidnapped. But if yes. if you do get kidnapped, this is we can give this evidence to the police. So we'll find you. All in the name of the Ian Lee Breakfast Show. Justin Daly, lovely to talk to you. Justin's going to be there all morning. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Uh, is the phone number. Did you see Splash? It, the, the more I talk about it, the more I think it sounds brilliant. It sounds brilliant. Vernon Kay, who I'm a big fan of, no tongue-in-cheek, I think he's great, hosting a show live in a swimming pool with celebrities diving. Because it's live, right? And diving is actually quite dangerous. Remember that clip? There's a clip, isn't there, from one of the Olympics, not this one, maybe one before, where the fella dives off the, the, the diving board, obviously. Ah, uh, hello. Um, but he gets it wrong and he cracks his head on the diving board and he, as he lands, the pool starts to fill with blood. That could happen! That could happen to Eddie the Eagle Edwards. I don't want it to happen, he's a lovely bloke. But it could happen. And I think, secretly... That's what ITV are hoping for, aren't they? They're hoping for someone to crack their head as they l- land in the pool. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. We're getting lots of people phoning up. Going, ah, it was rubbish. Waste of time. Do still call us if that's you. I would love to talk to you though if you thought it was cracking. If you thought it was a wonderful piece of family entertainment and you loved it. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Changes to family be- child benefits. Um, money's going to be cut. Uh, someone's texted in Mark in Bedford, 81333, starting his text, 3CR. The child benefit changes are not fair. That lady with the one earner in the household, which is one of the people we spoke to earlier on, will not get it because she earns £60,000. Potentially her neighbours, with two people in work, both on th- 45k, will still be able to claim. Also, the HRMC didn't inform the people affected. Uh, and Emma's emailed. Uh, 3CR at bbc.co.uk If it was for, purely for food and clothes it would be issued in the form of vouchers It is for the use of all that a child needs to be healthy in both mind and body That includes outings, holidays, books and much more If this government really wants to make cuts they should look at the way in which MPs are still abusing the allowance system, e.g. the rail fares minister still taking 80 grand a year to have a car taken back and forth to London That's your latest news and sport, more from me at oh, 8 o'clock oh, oh, um, uh, News bin? Oh, I haven't put anything in, that one Make something up. Sorry, I'm messaging Paul Scorings, the political reporter. We're both joining gyms today, you see, and he's trying to get me to join the gym that he's joining, and I'm not keen, and... Yeah, well, I understand your concern there. Um, don't don't, 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 tell, me, don't uh, tell me to carry on filling on. when I'm asking you to fill for me. Isn't this the same thing? Oh, no, hang on. It's the same thing I read on Friday. Oh, for goodness sake. I'm going to have to go deeper. I'm going to have to go deeper. Catherine Boyle's going uh, deep into the news bin. Uh, mm, yeah, I'm, I'm ready now. Oh. J- just you, sorry, just you rustling has filled enough. Has it? Yeah. <laughs> this news bin's rubbish. It is rubbish. Could you fill it up with some more news, please? I'll do my best. Thank you very much. Ta-ta. Call 08459 455 555. 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes. Political reporter Paul Scorings and I are both, like idiots, joining a gym in the first week of January. Oh, yeah, because that's sensible, isn't it? That's going to last. Uh, and I'm joining the one that's literally just around the back from Three Counties. Um, and Paul is uh, joining one in Milton Keynes. 
And I, the, the reason I'm joining this this one is because it's literally around the corner. I, I've kind of got a dead 45 minutes after the show hour. I can pop round there, go for a little swim, go for a run, do these kind of things, then come back in time for the excellent meeting that we have at 11 o'clock that we all enjoy. We do. My tongue is not in my cheek. Um, and, and, and I'll feel refreshed and revived. Um, and Paul's going, no, oh, come and join, uh, come and join my money, and because uh, we can really can hang out and have a really good time there. I'm like, no, Paul, I don't actually want to be your friend in real life, and I'm going to join this one. So that's why I was late being ready for the show. Apologies. Lots coming up in the next 30 minutes, including if you're disabled, have you ever struggled to get a taxi to stop for you? A Hertfordshire charity says drivers often see the wheelchair users and just fly on by. And an inside-out investigation has uncovered abuse, uh, evidence sorry, of abuse in care homes across the East. In around 20 minutes' time, we'll find out more about allegations of abuse here in the three counties. 08459 455 555 is the phone number. Now, BBC Three Counties has learnt that disabled people in beds, hearts and bucks are finding it increasingly difficult to get taxis. Hertfordshire Action on Disability, a charity for disabled people, highlighted issues with taxi travel in their national review, saying that drivers often see wheelchair users but just, quote, fly on by, unquote. Well, Edward Costello is a wheelchair user from Houghton Regis and he's experienced many problems trying to book a taxi with wheelchair accessibility. Morning, Edward. Edward, are you there? Edward. Edward! He's not there. We'll try and get him back in a second if we can. Uh, are you a wheelchair user? Have you come across this phenomenon? 08459 455 555 is the phone number. I know later on in the programme we're going to be speaking to a discrimination lawyer to find out the, the, the rights and the wrongs uh, legally uh, of this. And I know that um, my mum's in a wheelchair. And we have great problems getting her around. And uh, whenever we book a cab, we have to book a special kind of disability cab that basically is a minibus. Um, and it's a minibus and she gets wheeled in a ramp at the back and she drives around in a minibus. It's a little bit pricey. The company w- that we use are excellent, though, and provide a superb service. We've never tried to hail a black cab with mum in a wheelchair. Do you know what? I've hailed black cabs with buggies before, you know, with kids in. And that has proved difficult enough. They see a buggy and they're like, yeah, whatever. Uh, so I'm, I'm imagining with a wheelchair, it's going to be even worse. Isn't there a rule? Have we got any black cabs listening? Because isn't there a rule that if their light is on, they have to stop for you and they have to take you where you want to go? Isn't that right? Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Whatever Costello is should be on the line now. Edward, are you there? I am. We lost you, sir. Thanks for coming okay, back. That's all right. Uh, run us through what happens when you call for a taxi. Yeah, um, I know that um, we're working for the Disability Resource Centre in Dunstable. Um, a lot of us have, have found that uh, you ring for a taxi, and, and, and a lot of taxi firms can't take wheelchairs, or if they do. Um, they, they, they often say that, you know, there's an extra charge. There's, a, what, uh, what, there's an extra charge for a wheelchair? Yeah. How, how much is that extra charge? Um, I don't know. I've, I've been charged about £3.50 a journey. Why? Um, because it's uh, actually getting a wheelchair into the vehicle. Um, that that's what they say. If, if they can, if they can fit it in, there's no. <laughs> why, why would they need to charge an extra three pounds um, fifty? Because it's actually um, having to get the ramp out, having to put it oh. in the, into the um, cab. 
cab. Right. I then put the rent back wow. into the... Uh, yeah. And, and there are some companies that you've, you've called up that haven't got any cards that are suitable for wheelchairs. Yeah, there are a few uh, round in Luton and that that don't uh, take wheelchairs at all. Have you tried to hail a black cab, Edward? Um, I have, and, uh, I mean, <laughs> it's very difficult because they do uh, sometimes say, well, you know, we're, we're actually on a call um, when, when you know, you sort of know that they're not as soon as they sit in a wheelchair. Yeah. Um, I mean, I've, I've actually been once, I, I went on training for, uh, you know, while I was at the D- DRC, and um, uh, I had a cab ordered. Um, it came, a black cab. Um, as soon as he saw the wheelchair, he said, oh, he said, sorry, he said, I've got to go somewhere else. Oh, you're joking. Um, yeah, so I had to then ring up the company. They, they were very apologetic. I bet they were. But um, <laughs> they had to send somebody else out. So, um, you know, I find that, um, you know, if I'm having to go somewhere through work, um, it can be quite awkward, you know, because obviously there's appointments and that that, that I need to keep. So it, it, it can be, because listen, I, I kind of think, yeah, if I need a cab, I don't really use cabs very often these days because I think they're a rip-off, but uh, if I need a cab, I can just phone up a cab company or I can go out in town and, and hail a cab and it, I can jump in one pretty easily. I'm guessing you have to plan ahead a bit more. Uh, I, I do, I mean, that's, that's the thing. I think, you know, I think as far as disability issues are concerned, I think we, we, we need to look at it as a, as a country, you know, about how disabled people are, uh, are treated differently. Um, you know, I mean, as you say, I, if, if I'm going out even for an evening, I have to plan a taxi. I have to plan where I can actually go and eat. Um, that kind of thing. Where, oh, where no, don't. Listen, I said my mum's in a wheelchair, right? And uh, uh, Last year, maybe the year before, we were taking her out for lunch with some friends. Mm. Uh, I can't remember where it was, somewhere. And we had to phone, I had to phone up all these restaurants to see, have you got wheelchair accessibility? And we found this restaurant, and he said, yep, we're wheelchair friendly, we've got wheelchair accessibility. I said, right, I want to book a table for six, there's one wheelchair, there's going to be one high chair. And we booked it all up, and he said, by the way, I should just tell you, the disabled toilets are up 12 stairs. Yeah. I said, right, is there a stair lift? He said, no. I said, how, how is that wheelchair friendly? Yeah. How am I going to get mum up 12 steps? That's it, exactly. But, um, well, if but you've been in a black cab, Edward, how yeah, safe are they for people in a wheelchair? Yeah, they're, they're not really. I mean, um, again, you, you have to go up a steep ramp. But, I mean, uh, you know, to be fair with taxi drivers, I mean, you know, the, the taxis are not really made for disabled, uh, you know, for wheelchairs. Um, you, you go up a steep ramp, uh, you're then in a wheelchair, uh, unsecured, mm. um, so if you can't transfer into a seat, you, you're basically uh, in a big wheelchair um, that could, you know, if the taxi driver has to stop quickly or, or whatever, um, you know, you're, you're, you know, you'll just fly out of the chair and well, you've got a seatbelt in the chair, haven't you? You've got a seatbelt in the chair, which you can use, but obviously, if it, you know, if the taxi driver's going to 30 miles an hour, mm. and he has to stop, you're a bit like a bullet out of a gun, if you see what I mean. I'd like to see exactly what you mean. <laughs> I, I, I understand that the situation is so frustrating that you've ended up buying a car yourself. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've got a, um, a wheelchair accessible vehicle now, because I, I know that, uh, you know, um, that I can get where I need to get. Um, without, you know, having to sort of organise yeah. <laughs> in advance. But, I mean, um, I, I do think we need to also look at um, manufacturers and that to see whether or not there's there's a way of getting a, you know, designing a black cab that actually is wheelchair-friendly in the sense that 
You know, when you're in the wheelchair, even if it was tied down, you're not facing the same way as, as the other passengers. Edward, so, let, me, let me play devil's advocate here. There'll be people that are saying, yeah, to, to make new black cabs or, or, or cars like that, um, for a minority of people, it's going to be expensive and I might end up paying a little bit extra for you. What would you say to those people? Well, I, I, I don't think it Well, I don't know. I mean, it's not just people in wheelchairs. You're talking about, um, you know, people with prams. Mm. Um, you've got um, people that have, you know, got other walking disabilities or uh, visual impairment. So there's quite a lot of people that use cabs that, you know, that, that do have difficulty getting in black cabs. Um, I think, you know, maybe they... You know, the, the, maybe manufacturers could look at ways of, of doing it that, that doesn't cost as much. Edward, listen, we're going to end it there. Thank you very much indeed. Edward Costello there, telling us his experiences of using or trying to use cabs, mini cabs and black cabs, um, whilst being a wheelchair user. Well, later on in the programme, we'll be speaking to a discrimination uh, lawyer about that. And after nine, uh, David Prever is filling in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who just seems to be taking the longest holiday in the world, for goodness sakes. Uh, David Prever is in and on the big phone, and he's asking, should all taxi drivers be forced to take disabled passengers? Uh, I do find it amazing... Edward was saying that sometimes he has to pay a £3.50 extra charge... Because he's in a wheelchair. That's the thing that strikes me more than cabs not stopping. Cabs don't stop for me, you know, because they think I'm an idiot. And I've had that black cab. I've had a black cab driver flicking me the V's as he drove past me. Not allowed to do it, but he did. So they're not stopping for wheelchairs. It's wrong. It doesn't surprise me. But some cab companies charging three pounds fifty extra because you're in a wheelchair. Wowzers. If you've been affected by this, or if you are a cab driver, 08459 455 555. Splash! Saturday night TV at its best or at its worst. Francis is in Luton. Good morning, Francis. Uh, hello, are you, are you Ian? I am Ian. Are you Francis? Yes, I'm from Luton. Um, I, I think Saturday night programmes is, is very, very poor. I don't watch Saturday night shows anymore. You don't watch Saturday night shows? Yeah. I used to when my mum was alive. She died only two, three years now. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, Francis. Yeah. What what kind of things did you like? used to like watching with Mum? Well, I used to watch things like, um, The Avengers, Danger Man. Hang on a minute! That was 40 years ago, Francis! That was the 60s and the 70s! Yes, I used to enjoy watching them. I bet you did! They were fantastic! So you don't... You, did, did you watch Splash at all this weekend? No, I didn't watch Splash. I was watching, I was watching, um... On Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea on DVD. <laughs> oh, man! That's a fantastic film, Francis! Yes, the... I used to watch... I used to watch all that when I was a kid. Yeah! Well, listen, Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea and, and 20,000 Leagues Beneath the Sea and all those things are superb! Yeah. But they never... But, but, but TV has changed, hasn't it, since the 60s and 70s, Francis? We don't want to see good drama. We don't want to see good comedy. We want to see celebrities making idiots of themselves. Yes, I, I don't really watch watch all that i mean because because when mum was there we we used to watch um eric and ernie the morgan and wise show yeah, yeah. Ju- did you used to watch Ju- juliet bravo did you used to watch that yes i used to watch that. i used to love juliet bravo yeah i used to watch that um i used to i think there was tommy tommy cooper, tommy cooper. and all these sort of thing but all now the classics tv is is really gone gone decline i think That's francis I listen I, I think a lot of people agree with you francis in luton i don't watch much tv now I watched, um, the, like, box sets, um, and we just got The Killing 2 and 3. Ooh. 
But I don't watch much TV, very rarely. The only TV I watched this weekend was three episodes of Postman Pat and the uh, Dragon's Den Christmas special. And what a waste of time that was. It was. It was disappointing. I found it on the Sky Plus. I was like, ooh, I missed this. It was rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Women making cakes out of roast dinners. You're joking. Let's get the latest weather with Elizabeth Rossini. Hello, very good morning to you. Back to work for some of us, certainly back to school for many today as well. And pretty leaden skies, I'm afraid, to mark the occasion. We think it might just possibly get very cold. Come on, hurry up, run out of time. <laughs> Music's finished. I just wanted to put the put the end bit on, then it might get very cold next week. Thanks very much for leaving yeah. us all so happy. <laughs> Thank you. Did you have a nice Christmas and New Year? It was wonderful. How was yours? It was, we were all sick at some point. But we, oh. did, we didn't have the, the norovirus. We just had sinusitis. So, oh and eye infections. We had really manky eyes. It was horrible. Oh, get well soon. I had that a couple of weeks before Christmas. Oh, is it? I got it from you, Elizabeth. Oh, there we go. Nice All to have you back. Speak like to you later on. Bye. Bye-bye. This isn't the chair I normally sit on. It's taken me an hour and 50 minutes to realise, as I was, I, as I was adjusting myself then... I, I went to put my hands on the arms of the chair, and they weren't there. Where's my chair gone? Speaking of adjusting yourselves, I, I'm gonna t- I will tell this story. I, I won't tell this story. I'm going to allude to it. Twice this weekend... You know that scene in There's Something About Mary, when um, Ben Stiller is in the toilet, and he gets something... Not that scene, the other scene. He, he's, he zips up his fly... Happened to me twice this weekend. Not as bad as that. Not as bad as that. But but it happened to me twice. And it was that real thing of... Um, if you don't know what it is, I'm not going to go into, into detail. We still have young ears, but there will be a few gentlemen wincing at this. Uh, and it was that thing where it was... The zip was done up, and I had to make a tactical decision of how I was going to get out of this situation. And it was a zip withdrawal. Both times. Twice! Twice! How is that possible? And the second, first time it was like, it really hurt. And my son was trying to talk to me and I had to get out of that. The second time I was like, oh my goodness, not again. Twice in one weekend. Won't be going near that for a long time. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five. Sorry to put that horrible image into your mind if you're just having your breakfast. Sausage and bacon. Now, many of us will need care at some point in our lives. Care homes for older people are supposed to provide a safe place for us when we can no longer look after ourselves. But an inside-out investigation has uncovered evidence of abuse in homes across the East, and evidence that the system that should be protecting vulnerable people is failing. Well, here to tell us more is the programme's presenter, David Whiteley. Morning, David. Good morning. This is... My mum's in a care home, and I find this quite shocking. What have you discovered? Well, we sent Freedom of Information requests to councils across the region to check the scale of abuse at care homes, and we were quite shocked by the figures. Um, here in the Three Counties area, looking specifically at Hertfordshire, um, there were 129 substantiated allegations of abuse within a care home um, between uh, 2010 and 2011. Uh, then within the last financial year, that, that number went up to 138. Uh, and across the whole of the Three Counties, many care homes are failing to meet compliance standards according to the Care Quality Commission. Uh, Now, as part of our investigation, we looked at the case uh, of a lady called Margaret Clayton. Uh, This was in Essex. Uh, She developed dementia, and her family had to face the fact that she did need care. They found a place for her in a privately run home, costing three grand a month. Mm. Uh, While in care, her daughter, Joanna Simmons, discovered that her mum had been abused. There was a new carer uh, who was on an induction programme. It was her first night in the job, um, as far as I know, and she was told to shadow the night carer. Now, the night carer had had been there for about a year, I believe, and she witnessed uh, what she felt was definitely abuse. 
and she reported it to the authorities the following day. Um, she witnessed the fact that this person went into my mother's room at about quarter to five in the morning, turned the light on, and she quite roughly um, washed her face with cold water and sort of dragged off her clothing. And uh, I think the thing that uh, really upset the um, carer on the induction was that she she grabbed my mother's face. My mother said something like, well, you know, you're, you're horrible, you're being horrible to me, and she grabbed her face and she said, I hate you too. But to think that, you know, my mother was actually sitting in a, a room from about five o'clock in the morning beggars belief, really. And what's even more incredible about this is that the carer, who was found guilty and then subsequently, of course, sacked from her job, was later found working in another care home. I'm, I'm listening to that, David, and I've, I've, I've heard that and I've seen that. I've seen Have that kind really? of stuff, yeah. yeah. Who's supposed to be keeping an eye on care homes? Well, uh, local authorities and safeguarding boards have primary responsibility for safeguarding vulnerable adults, but it's the job of the Care Quality Commission to inspect care homes and refer any concerns to the local authority. Now, it promises to inspect everyone uh, once a year... But now it says it cannot guarantee this will happen. Wow. Well, we invited the Care Quality Commission to take part in the programme. They refused. Uh, but they did tell us that compliance teams are working hard to complete this year's inspection programme by April. Uh, Gary Fitzpatrick is from Action on Elder Abuse. Well, when you've got care homes that chronically are not delivering, the quality of care is poor and poor and poor, and the quality of life for those people is appalling, then we clearly need urgent and robust action. We don't need to see a situation where it takes nine months, ten months, twelve months, two years, and all the time those people are suffering they can't escape from there it's almost like a life sentence to them uh david thank you for that you can see more of that on inside out tonight at 7 30 can we get you on for a lighter story next time yes maybe we can yeah i could have talked about stargazing we've got that tonight which is quite interesting oh so well, g- give us a bit about stargazing yeah then. because we're doing a story about uh, of course there's stargazing live this week uh, on bbc2 yes uh with professor brian cox and dara i never know how to pronounce his surname o'brien oh, yes thank you O'Brien. Yes. and um and we've done a story on on light pollution and how it's actually uh, getting uh, getting a little bit better uh and we partly filmed that in well the whole program tonight comes from downs and we filmed there last week and my goodness it was cold <laughs> yeah i bet it was i don't now that professor cox guy he's the good looking one with the teeth isn't he he used to be in d-ream didn't he, he did just things can only get better was he the keyboard player i've got no idea what I'm, I'm not that old but um <laughs> he uh, i don't get why everyone loves him don't they yeah they do he's a big hit he's a big hit he i I mean, do you like him? I don't get it. No. Him and the man that goes around getting choirs to sing, I don't get the fascination with either of them. I'm sure they're lovely. Maybe they should do a programme together. Yeah, well, they get, they get <laughs> alien choirs to sing. Uh, David, listen, thank you very much. You can see that on Inside Out tonight, 7.30, BBC One. Just going back to the story we were talking about, we mentioned Hertfordshire County Council in that report. They couldn't join us on the programme this morning, but they did send a statement. Public awareness of the abuse of adults has risen significantly over the last few years, and the number of cases reported in Hertfordshire reflects this. Um, in every case where the CQC report a failing in one of their standards uh, in a care home, uh, we would work with the owners of the home to rectify that problem thank you very much for that david it is uh, it is grim and it, you know it always makes me sad when our most vulnerable people who are supposedly in a safe environment um are, are being abused in that. and it's expensive you heard there the, the ladies in three thousand pounds a month mum pays just under 1300 quid a week a week until her savings fall below twenty three thousand pounds and then the council kind of come in and help out uh, we're talking about wheelchair users being denied um, access to taxis. Um, Andrew from Hatfield. Morning, Andrew. Good morning. You're a taxi driver. I have been for 30-plus years, yeah. Would you, would you ever... Uh, no, are you a black cab or minicab? 
I'm a licensed taxi, so a, a, black, a licensed taxi does not have to be a black cab. Okay. Um, well, I'm not private hire, if that's what you mean. Okay. Would, do, have you ever d- d- turned away or refused someone in a wheelchair? Of course not. It, it would be totally wrong. Are you surprised to hear that, that people have been doing that, though? And it seems to be quite common. I'm really dismayed, because um, up, up until recently, with our local council, well in Hatfield, had a a consultative group called the TQP, which was made up of the trade council, um, police, and a person representing disabled people. He himself was in a wheelchair, actually. Mm. And we used to meet regularly and discuss all various things, and one of them would be Disability and Discrimination Act. Um, The trouble at the moment is there isn't such a vehicle that satisfies all disabled people, because disabled people doesn't just mean someone that's in a wheelchair. Mm. My wife, for example, has had knee replacement and uh, needs another one. There's a lot of people that suffer with arthritis yeah. and hip joint problems and so on. When you open the door of a black cab, you know, if you've been in one yourself, you know that you can't just sit straight on the seat. You have to crouch down and yeah. go backwards into the seat. People with arthritis and replacement joints and so on don't find that easy. They prefer actually just to open the door and sit on a seat. Mm. So a black cab, in those cases, is unsuitable for them. Andrew, we heard earlier on as well that sub- some cab companies charge £3.50 extra just because someone's in a wheelchair yeah it's outrageous but this is what because the public don't understand the law um in a licensed taxi that i work off the station in hatfield and um i do do bookings if people ask me to but um <clears throat> there's no provision in well in hatfield i can only talk about our area for any extras of that kind it just doesn't exist um whether a person in a wheelchair, whether there's one person or six people that get in my car, the rate is the same. The meter goes on at mm. the correct tariff for that time of day, and that's the end of it. So someone's saying, oh, you're in a wheelchair, that's going to be an extra £3.50 because I've got to get the ramp out. They're, they're breaking the law. Well, no, you see, what happens is this is where the law is an ass. When you phone a company and you ask for a taxi, you will say the word taxi, but they may send you a taxi or they may send you a private hire vehicle. Yeah. That booking regardless of what they send you, is called a private hire booking. It's a booking you've made, verbal agreement between you and the company to send a vehicle. Andrew, we've got to end it there. We're running out of time. Thank you very much for that. Interesting to get your opinion. This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past eight. It's Monday, the 7th of January. It's the first full week of 2013. Who'd have thunk it? Doesn't Christmas just seem like forever ago? Hope you're well. Lots coming up in the last hour of the show before nine, including tens of thousands of new homes are being proposed for the three counties over the next 20 years. We'll find out whether they're needed or if we should just make better use of the properties that we have. Wheelchair users have told BBC Three Counties Radio that taxis sometimes don't stop for them, and they even charge extra for the wheelchair. Have you ever experienced discrimination from cab drivers? And reporter Justin Dealey, our diving correspondent, is at the Inspire Centre swimming pool in Luton this morning. It's where the new reality show Splash is being filmed. Did you watch it? Now, we've had loads of people queuing up to say, it was a load of old rubbish. And you're more than welcome to come on. Of course you are. But I'm really keen to talk to someone, if that person exists, who thinks, do you know what, I I quite enjoyed it. I thought it was quite good fun. Lots of ways to get in touch. Facebook, very busy this morning. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. We'll have a look at some of those in a minute. You can text 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or we've got a couple of lines free, so now would be an excellent time to give us a call. 08459 455 
555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Now today, Central Bedfordshire Council begins its consultation on plans to build more than 28,000 homes in the area over the next 20 years. It follows the scrapping of government targets a couple of years ago, which has meant councils have had to change their plans. Some feel we need more housing. Others say there's enough already and we need to make better use of the homes we have before concreting over the countryside. Well, Alex Morton is from the Think Tank Policy Exchange. He wrote a report recently showing councils were reducing the number of homes in their plans. Morning, Alex. Good morning. Uh, and Henry Pryor joins me in the studio. He's a housing expert from Hertfordshire. He thinks that we have may, uh, may have already enough homes. Morning, Henry. Morning to you. Uh, now, Alex, let's start with you. Your report recently showed how councils dropped their targets. Explain how that came about. Uh, that was the result of the government scrapping regional planning. So the, uh, the last government, uh, you had a regional tier of government that told councils how many homes uh, they should build. Now that's been removed and councils are free to some extent to set their own targets. Of course, they're not really free because you have planning inspectors who are appointed by central government. Um, but there is some discretion and most of the councils have used that discretion, particularly in the southeast and southwest, to reduce the number of homes being built. We talked to our councils, uh, Alex, and it seems that many are still deciding on new targets. Should we have more in beds, hearts and bucks? Well... <laughs> We clearly need more housing. I mean, we don't think, however, the current system is able to deliver it. Um, you, the way our current system works is that you have a plan imposed by the council, mm. as you were saying, over 20 years, which isn't similar to any other... There's no other good or service that works like this. So there are two major problems with it. First is uh, it pretends that the costs and benefits uh, don't really exist to individuals. So what they do is they, the, the council supposedly comes up with a plan that's the best for everyone and then just forces everyone to accept it. So if you've got new homes near you, they could be quite ugly. You don't have any new amenities with them. The infrastructure isn't always very well planned. So we think that's one of the main... They, these are the reasons that people often get up in arms. If you had a system, for example, where at the edge of an existing town, you had a huge new park, and on the other side of that park, you had some beautiful housing, which local people got to cho- choose what it looked like, mm. uh, and you had some amenities that came with that, then we think you might actually start to build enough homes. Because the point is that even under the last government's attempts to force housing through, we were still building far too few homes because local people um, fought it every step of the way. Uh, So that's the first problem. And the second problem is that the council can't calculate how many homes are needed. The idea that the government can sort of sit down with a piece of paper and work out in 10 years' time the exact number of new homes that's needed in an area is clearly nonsense. Imagine if we tried to sell cars like that or food or anything else and you begin to realise just how odd a system it really is. Henry Pryor, is it, is it an odd system? It's a bizarre system, and we have to remember that uh, this is probably going to be the topic, the uh, centre of debate over the next three years as we head to the next general election. Mm. Anybody who has the the slightest interest in housing uh, should read Alex's report. I commend it to everybody, even if you don't agree with the principles behind what he's talking about. It's an exceptionally useful paper to, 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 as, a, as a springboard for the discussion because it transpires that if you search high and low across the internet and through academia, uh, there are no uh, academic uh, 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 qualified uh, research papers on how many houses we do or don't need as we go forward. And we know that uh, house building is a very, very hot political issue because inevitably, uh, whilst people might feel that uh, we need more housing in order to provide accommodation uh, for those for, for a growing population and a, and a younger population, inevitably people don't want that new housing to be built in their backyard. Mm. 
And so we have to find some way of squaring the circle, and that debate needs to kick off with actually a question, which is fundamentally, do we need more houses? And if we were to build those new houses, where would they go? And this has been the problem that politicians have, have uh, wrestled with down, down the ages. We remember, uh, many listeners will know, that of, uh, of the, uh, the case of West Stevenage, where there were proposed by Jem- John Prescott uh, 10,000 new homes, and it was a, a, a political football. Backwards and forwards it went as people decided whether it was going to happen or whether it wasn't going to happen. The fundamentals f- behind the house-building uh, uh, argument that uh, listeners have and wrestle with uh, around dinner tables and in pubs and clubs uh, uh, across the region is that if you build more houses, you inevitably, by definition, devalue the, the price of existing properties in order to, by definition, make them more affordable for those that want to buy them. Mm. Which political party is going to stand up at the next election and say, we'd like to, A, devalue the, 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 uh, your existing property, and B, ruin the view by building new homes in, the, in, in front of your new house across the Green Belt? And it's a very difficult uh, question. Are you saying then, because listen, I'm coming from this from the outside, are you saying then that we don't need more homes? Because I was led to believe that there was a housing shortage, that we needed to build more homes, building more homes would create more jobs, more investments, re- stimulate the economy. Is that not the case then? Well, I'm not here to say that we, we, we should or we shouldn't. My, my, my role is to explain what the background is, mm. and, and your listeners are, are bright enough and clever enough to be able to work out for themselves what they should do as a result. There is a very convincing and very compelling argument that we, have a, we are in the middle of a national housing crisis up and down the land. That crisis would suggest that we need more than a million new homes to be built across the UK over the next four or five years. But even if we were to build 260 houses in every town, village and hamlet across the country, that would still only produce the million houses that we've talked about. Mm. And I can't see any reason why that is going to occur. I mean, for, for me, the point is it's, it's a disconnect between... If you have new houses built near you, unless you're a really, basically a really good person, you're a homeowner, you've got a lovely view, you're not going to want someone like uh, you know, Barclays or Barrett's to come along and build what are, frankly, quite uh, unattractive houses that, as you say, um, was saying, ruin your view, that probably push the value of your property down, that lose green space. What we need is a fundamental re-evaluation of the system that says, look, if you get new houses built near you, you have complete control over the quality of what they look like. You have control over some green space, so there's always going to be green space in your area. Uh, and you have some kind of amenities like new school playing fields uh, or new shops or whatever it is. That's the only way in this country we are going to get anywhere near being out of homes, rather than just telling people to shut up and put up with the current system, which governments, for uh, both political parties, have tried for 30 years now. For 30 years, we've had this constant battle between the people, people who uh, own the existing homes and are worried about what's going to happen to their area and the huge amount of young people who are basically, at the moment, completely you know, stuck at home, stuck in overcrowded accommodation. There's huge amounts of evidence that people, are, people aren't even having families anymore in the South. Because unless you're very rich or you can get social housing, you're completely screwed. And that just isn't sustainable in the long term. So what we need is a sort of fundamental re-evaluation of uh, how we get new homes built in an area. Henry? Well, it's interesting, you see, because um, one of the things that... Uh, one of the ways of, uh, that, that, that uh, we've sorted out um, who can and who can't buy a house or have a, have a home, uh, not only own a home, but also rent one, because we have a, the crisis, the pinch is, is just as, as uh, exacerbated in the rental sector as it is in, in, in home ownership, is that you say you let the market decide, and if you can afford to buy a property, then you can have one, and if you can't, 
the, uh, afford it, then you don't get a property. Mm. And that's why the government, central government in particular, is, is making big efforts to try and move, to try and shift the centre of gravity away from London and the South East, where we do have exorbitant property costs, so that uh, they're building HS2, for example, very controversial, going through our region, uh, in order to try and move people away uh, from London and the South East uh, towards the Midlands. And we've got 17 uh, new high-speed broadband uh, cities that have been announced across the UK, again, in order to try and persuade people that you don't need to be in the crowded, congested London mm. and the South East. What we need to try and establish, once and for all, is whether we do need new properties, and there is, as I say, a convincing argument uh, that, 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 that we do. If, you do, if that is the case, where are we going to build them? The argument has always been build them on existing brownfield, what's called brownfield land, where there has been previous uh, bu- uh, building, probably commercial building usually, uh, uh, rather than necessarily concreting over the green belt, which is what most people, particularly in our region, uh, are terrified is going to happen. Mm. I suppose my argument would be to that, that there isn't enough brownfield to go around, particularly in the south-east now. So uh, 30 or 40 years ago, it was possible to argue that uh, the housing crisis could be solved by building on just brownfield sites. The problem is that that, that is no longer the case, um, that uh, in most of the south-east and parts of south-west and east Anglia, there's going to have to be some uh, development on greenfield. The problem is that there are different types of greenfield sites. I, you know, I grew up in greenfield. There were bits of it that were stunning, and there were bits of it that were just giant fields of oil. Henry, very but, but Alex, f- forgive me, Alex. Where, where's the argument that we? Where is the definitive academic argument that we need more houses? Uh, the cost of housing is massively, massively above the cost of construction. What has happened is the government, through the planning system, has restricted the amount of homes that can be built for decade after decade. So that's why rents and house prices have spiralled up and up and up. There's no sort of magic about house prices. In a sense, when house prices go up. All that's really happening is the land that they sit on is going up in value. Land with planning permission in this country costs one million, two million, or three million pounds. So it's not when people own a house it goes up in value. The bricks aren't turning to gold. All that happens is there is a government created shortage of land. That shortage of land over time means that the existing house prices go up. Henry, you've got 30 seconds. Do you want to come back on that? Well, I, I, frankly, I mean, the, the, the problem with this argument is I, I'd love a new Aston Martin, but, the fr- but nobody's going to help me to, to, uh, to acquire one. Um, there are an awful lot of people who'd like uh, to afford their own house, and wouldn't that be lovely? And there are indeed those who suggest that, uh, that having your own house is a right. It's one of those fun- fundamental human rights. I think that as a society, we've got to decide uh, how, we, how we balance this yeah. uh, supply and demand of, of what is, frankly, one of the basic requirements people require and if they're going to do that where are we going to provide these new houses from it's a debate that you're going to have on 3cr all week yep. and it's about time we had it henry pryor housing expert from hertfordshire alex morton from the think tank policy exchange thank you very much for coming in much appreciated hey, so david Previ, i was I, I got to bed at midnight i, was I heard like, you're scaring me this I, morning i know I, um, why am i sounding <laughs> because a i've done this job long enough to listen to a voice <laughs> and know that a man is wired a man is i close could hear to your knuckles down. on the desk and i was I, I i was was i was sleeping i'm sleeping in the loft room while i do this 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 silly shift and the next thing i know it's I like you're a lodger in your own house. <laughs> the next thing i know uh, ex- i nearly said something inappropriate the next thing i know is i went to bed at midnight and suddenly i'm i'm downstairs and my in wife your pants says, yes. yeah my yes. wife says ian what are you doing so i'm going to work crazy what a quarter past one in your pants it's like <laughs> oh yeah no I'm, i'll go back to bed nobody would have noticed here they would have just thought, oh ian it's getting used to it now yeah exactly <laughs> he's relaxing <laughs> he's relaxing into 
of the role. You've got another week of this. Yes. I'm loving incredible. it. Incredible. I know. Not incredible. You're, Who's ever taken a holiday this long? Jonathan Vernon Smith, really. As a man secure in his position, I was always taught never take a holiday in this job. No. Never no, take no. a holiday. No, I, 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 yes, I remember another station. Remember that? Wouldn't, never take a holiday wouldn't there. Wouldn't take a break. No, not no. at all, because you, you'd come back and they'd have moved. Changed your chair. Totally. Moved everything around. What have you got on the show this morning, Dave? It's uh, the thing you've been talking about all morning. Should all taxi drivers be forced to take disabled passengers? Uh, and why, as you uh, have been reporting, we've learned that disabled people in beds, hearts and bucks finding it increasingly difficult to get taxes. The other side of this is that cab drivers are small businessmen, they, uh, their cars might not be equipped, it's going to take them much longer to make these journeys. Why should they be forced to take passengers that they can't perhaps accommodate? Mm. Uh, a friend of mine has a guide dog, um, Sean, I'm trying to get Sean on the phone this morning, and he has constantly refused taxi journeys uh, uh, locally in Stevenage, is where he lives. Really? Yeah, he's been thrown out of the cars uh his dogs jumped in the back and the cab drivers have uh, taken the dog out and said sorry we can't i mean i don't think stuff. they're allowed to do are they allowed to do that? well this is what we want to try and understand right. this morning because it's different rules for your london black cabs right yeah. as to uh, your local uh, mini cabs and so on what do you have in that cup of yours you bring in this weird in here i have 15 shots cup. of jack daniels i see it's masquerading as a starbucks mug but I really it's neat whiskey see, that's what's doing it's it. coffee from home very nice. Yes, I recommend you do that. I bring in tea bags. Especially with your one and a half hours sleep a night. Uh, David, lovely to see you. Those red eyes. Oh, man. Tell me, See you later on. Thanks. The BBC in beds, hearts and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. If you want to get in touch uh, with David, you can call. I suggest you send him an email now, because we're here till nine o'clock. Send him an email, jvsshow at bbc.co.uk, um, and, and have your say. Include your phone number, and then uh, a member of the team will possibly call you back if they think you're up to the calibre. Now, Splash. Did you watch it at the weekend? ITV1, Saturday night, primetime show, celebrities being taught how to dive by Tom Daly, the, the, the good-looking young lad in the tight shorts, um, and then being judged by Joe Brand, of all people. I know. It's being filmed in Luton. The Inspire Centre swimming pool is being used for the celebrity diving programme. It's been universally panned. Um, but Twitter was uh, aflame with people slagging it off. Uh, and all of the papers... The Express actually gives it a nice little write-up and says it was quite good. And it got a lot of viewers. Episode one got a lot of viewers. That's never the test. The test is episode two. Uh, well, earlier on, Dave Mingay from the National Union of Teachers told me he didn't think it was beneficial for the town as diving lessons have been cancelled for people who use the pool. Our diving correspondent uh, and uh, official budgie smuggler, Justin Dealey, is live at Luton's Inspire Centre. Morning, Justin. Oh, I love it, Ian. Thank you very much. I indeed. know you do. Uh, yes, uh, £26 million pounds, uh, the facilities cost here. Um, lots of people very unhappy about this TV show. I've been talking to George and he says that he's offended by the programme. Take a listen to this. I don't mind Luton Borough Council trying to get some money in, but the way they go about it uh, in this particular instance, um, it just offends many of the members here and, and uh, Luton uh, residents in particular. So let's get this absolutely right. You're offended by this TV show because of the way that you've been treated as a member. I'm offended because my um, <coughs> rights to the swimming pool have been um, taken away, effectively. So the views there of George, and uh, of course in the first area, and he gave us uh, a one-word answer on his way into the centre, that being rubbish. Mm. Uh, somebody who's uh, slightly more happy about the TV programme is Peter. Peter joining us live here in our radio car outside the Inspire Luton Sports Village. You like the TV show. Tell us why you liked it so much. I thought it was very entertaining, yeah. and um, I thought it was nice that the community, that they're doing it. 
Because a lot of people are saying this doesn't bring anything good to Luton, but others would argue, hang on a minute, you've got a primetime TV show and it's being filmed in Luton. That's great news for the town. Yes, it is. And I, and I said, I, I think it was very good and I think it's nice to see that Luton's been involved in something on the telly. Okay. What about your friends and family? Do they also love it? Uh, their wife liked it, yeah, she yeah. enjoyed it, yeah. She, <laughs> well, she likes it, yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So you will be watching again this weekend? Oh, yes, definitely. Okay, and yeah. just lastly, who is your favourite celebrity on that TV show? Um... Well, there wasn't really. It was just, yeah, just all, all of them. <laughs> Any of them, just good fun. Yeah, they are. They're very good fun. Okay, yeah. lovely. Thank you very much. Very entertaining. Good stuff. Thank you, Peter. There Thank you go. You. So uh, the good and the bad, and of course, um, a lot of people unhappy because they are users, and uh, the competition poll will be closed for a number of dates in January. Ian, they are the 11th, the 12th, the 18th, the 19th, the 25th, and the 26th, and then going into February on the 1st and 2nd of February. So the big competition poll here it will be closed on those dates because of this TV show. But hey, love it or hate it Ian 6.3 million people tuned in on Saturday but of course the big test this weekend will they come back again as you heard there from Peter he definitely will be back this weekend have you ever dived off of a diving board Um, yes very badly really Uh, (laughs) I couldn't do I couldn't even go up there well do you know Omid Jalili at the weekend I have to say that 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 was the fun for me you know Omid Jalili is is a great comedian we all know that much but but there he is 10 metres in the air in his big shorts doing a a big dive that was a shock that was fun mm. it may be one of these you know celebrity programs again but for a lot of people watching on saturday night they don't want a serious tv show they just want some fun and it was fun justin excellent stuff as always thank you very much for well, joining me now is the daily star sunday's james ingham who was uh, very supportive of the show on twitter last night james you you must have been the only voice that, that was bigging it up Apparently so, yeah. Um, I was surprised just by how much everyone seems to hate it. I haven't seen it, right? But the the more I hear about it, the more I read about it, the more I think it sounds absolutely flipping fantastic. Exactly. Tell me exactly what happens in the show. Um, I mean, it's very much the same kind of format as, you know, Dancing and I, Strictly Come Dancing, these other reality shows where, I mean, this time you've got five so-called celebrities diving off against each other. Um, They then go through the vote to see, you know, no judging vote, to see who gets the highest score, then it's added to the public vote, and just people with the lowest get kicked off, it's as simple as that. And, the and then they have, I'm assuming, the, the, the end of the series, they have a dive-off. They do, they'll have a, well, we'll have a celebrity diver, won't we, a celebrity <laughs> diving champion. And what do they um, win, a place in the Olympics, 2016 <laughs> or something? Possibly, I think they go up again, I think they're um, Tom Daly's new synchronised partner <laughs> for Rio. It does, but but there wasn't much diving, was there? Because there's there, there, dive- one dive. There was one dive from each, so there was five in total, which I, I totally get what people are saying there. But yeah. I think people are, are not realising just how difficult the diving is, and it's really highlighting that as a sport. I mean, the, these people have not, the celebrities haven't had much time to rehearse. It's not like Dancing and Ice, where they've had the last three months to practice. They've literally only just found out they're on the show. They've, been, they've had about four or five sessions, and that's it. And to be diving off a 10-metre board after four or five sessions... I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I couldn't go up there. Exactly. And I think people are missing the point at the end of the day. It's, you know, it's light-hearted entertainment. All the family can watch together, no matter what your age is. It's perfect Saturday night TV. Um, yes, the camera work was shocking. There's terrible links. The presenting was quite poor as well. Oh, really? Because it was Vernon. I like Vernon. I think he's I good. Like Vernon. And Gabby is an amazing presenter as well. But, um... Look, I think it's going to improve. It did seem a bit like a pilot episode, right. um, but it was incredibly funny. It was, it was camp, it was over the top, it didn't take itself seriously. I mean, it was trashy TV, but it was kind of trashy TV at its best. Do we know what celebs they've got? I know Eddie the Eagle Edwards is lined up. Anyone else we know? 
Eddie the Eagle, and he's supposed to be a bit of a dark horse, actually. Um, he's supposed to be very good, so he might actually win something. Um, we've got Joey Essex from Towie. Um, we've got... Um, Oh, I forgot the rest now. This, this is one of the few shows that they've not asked me to do. That's, that's uh, the, how, the, how low off the spectrum I am these days. Uh, <laughs> maybe, normally, normally get asked to do all of this rubbish. Uh, you're going to stick with it, are you, James? You're, 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 you're addicted now, are you? I am addicted and I'm going to stick with it. Um, and you can't argue with ratings. Yes, it was the first week, um, but it was the highest uh, it was the highest, most, sorry, most watched program of the night. Um, the BBC had a, a program on at the same time, which was to produce kind of slicker and more intellectual, stimulating show, I suppose, called Britain's Brightest, and it beat that. Um, but I'm sticking with it. And I think as well also that people have to remember that at the beginning, Strictly Come Dancing and Dancing on Ice weren't quite the shows that they are now. Yeah. So if the ratings stay, ITV will invest more money in it, um, the celebrities will get better, um, and the show will improve that. Any reason why you can't. James, thank so. you very much. James Ingham there from uh, the Daily Star Sunday. Uh, honestly, it sounds awful, but it sounds wonderful because of it. Bob's in High Wycombe. Bob, did you watch Splash at the weekend? Yeah, I certainly did, mate. Well, what did you make of it? Um, it was a bit, more, a bit like wallpaper TV, really. It was on, and we were we were interested in the uh, in the celebrities, and we were quite impressed by the by the the, uh, the level of skill that they showed. Yeah. But uh, overall, we just it was just on in the background. I mean, I was like I was saying to you to your researcher, the um, I was with some friends up in Telford, and after the show, I asked them where the where the where the pool was, and they couldn't tell me. Oh, did they not well, mention it was Luton then on the show? Well, I don't, I don't know whether they did or not, but if they did, um, we, we completely missed that bit. We didn't even know where the pool was, so how, how and we can't, can't understand how it's good for Luton if we didn't even know it was club from Luton. I suppose there's a point. I'm, I'm being told I, that it was mentioned possibly once, maybe a couple of times that it was it was from Luton. But yes, I suppose if if there's nothing on there saying, hey, it's Luton, uh, yeah, how can it be an advert for the area? Exactly, yeah. But, uh, Bob, are you going to watch it again? Uh, we're going to give it a go, see if it improves. We're not too impressed with the camera, especially with the finale, with the professional divers at the end of it. Right. We couldn't see what was going on. There was too many shots of the of the crowd going, oh, crikey, what's happening there? Fantastic. And, you know, it was... It, it was a bit dire, because we, we really wanted to see what was happening with the professional divers, and you couldn't see what was happening. Thank you very much. I like the way Bob says, it was a bit dire. Yeah, I'm going to watch it again. Wonderful. It sounds great to me, honestly. It sounds the sort of thing I would series link and watch them all on a Sunday afternoon. Text 81333. Start your message with 3CR. Text charged at the standard network rate. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Morning! It's rattling past today, isn't it? 8.32 on Monday the uh, 7th of January. Uh, lots coming up before nine o'clock and David Priever, including wheelchair users have told BBC Three Counties Radio taxis sometimes don't stop for them and they even charge extra for the wheelchair. Have you experienced discrimination from cab drivers? Well, we'll hear from a discrimination lawyer to find out what they can and can't do. And Luton Town will play Norwich in the fourth round of the FA Cup. I'll be speaking to manager Paul Buckle to find out how he's feeling about the draw. If you want to get in touch, uh, the Facebook page, very busy this morning. Always good to go on there. And have a little argument with the other listeners. Play nice, don't be rude, but you'd be feisty. Feisty but not rude. Facebook.com forward slash BBC3CR. You can send us a text, 81333, starting your text 3CR. Or we've got a couple of lines free, so you can give us a call now, 08459 455 555. 
Now, BBC Three Counties has learnt that disabled people in beds, hearts and bucks are finding it increasingly difficult to get taxis. Hertfordshire Action on Disability, a charity for disabled people, highlighted issues with taxi travel in their national review last week, saying that drivers often see wheelchair users but just fly on by. Earlier on, we heard from Edward Costello. He's a wheelchair user from Houghton Regis who's often been charged extra to take his wheelchair with him into the cab. You ring for a taxi and, and, and a lot of taxi firms can't take wheelchairs or if they do um they 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 often say that you know there's an extra charge there's a, well, uh, well, there's an extra charge for a wheelchair yeah how, how much is that extra charge um i don't know i've, I've been charged about three pound fifty a journey why um because it's uh, actually getting a wheelchair into the vehicle um, that that's what they say. If, if they can, if they can fit it in, there's no. <laughs> why, why would they need to charge an extra three pounds um, fifty? Because it's actually um, having to get the ramp out, having to put it oh. in the, into the um, cab, right. and then putting the ramp back wow. in. Um, yeah. And and there are some companies that you've you've called up that haven't got any cards that are suitable for wheelchairs. Yeah, there are a few uh, around in Luton and that that don't uh, take wheelchairs at all. Have you tried to hail a black cab, Edwards? Um, I have, and uh, I mean, <laughs> it's very difficult because they do uh, sometimes say, well, you know, we're, we're actually on a call um, when, when you know, you sort of know that they're not as soon as they sit in a wheelchair. Well, joining me in the studio now is Peggy Barnard, discrimination lawyer from Picton Solicitors in Luton. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the, 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 we'll, the, we'll come to the thing about people not picking up people in wheelchairs and stuff like that. That, that doesn't surprise me as much as what Edward said there, that some cab companies charge extra, like £3.50 extra for a wheelchair. That's right. Unfortunately, apparently it does happen quite regularly. Is that legal? Um, the, well, the law relating to um, disability discrimination is contained in um, a lengthy piece of legislation, which is called the um, Equality. Act. Right. Um, and the general rule in the Equality Act is it's unlawful for a provider of services, which includes a taxi driver, yeah. um, to discriminate against a disabled person in the provision of that service. So on the face of that, that would include that, generally speaking, it would be unlawful for a taxi driver to refuse to pick up a passenger in a wheelchair yeah. if they are able to do so, if their vehicle so allows, and also that it would be unlawful for them to charge an additional fee for taking the wheelchair. Because sometimes you have to pay a bit extra. I never understand why. If you've got suitcases or if you've got some big baggage, or something. That's but but I, I would have assumed, as you, you kind of seem to be saying there, that to include the wheelchair as, oh, it's a bit of baggage, a bit extra, that, and, and therefore charge for it, it just sounds ridiculous. It is. And, and generally speaking, it would be unlawful, although unfortunately there are grey areas in the law. Oh, really? Um, as often yeah, is of course. the case. Um, basically, the rule is that it's discriminatory to charge a disabled person as a result of their disability. Right. Um, but generally speaking, as long as the taxi driver is charging the same um, price for that vehicle as they would a non-disabled passenger, then that's not necessarily discriminatory. Okay. So often you might, if you pre-book a taxi, you may have to pay more for a larger vehicle, which right. a non-disabled person could potentially do as well as a disabled person. Okay. So it depends on the reasons for that taxi driver charging that additional fee. It's, if it's purely because they have to pick up that wheelchair, put it in the, in the vehicle, then yes, potentially that is discriminatory. And are they, I mean, it's, it's such a strange one, because obviously some vehicles aren't, you can't get wheelchairs in, you know, because some, some uh, uh, people in wheelchairs can't transfer, so they can't get out of the chair into the seat and da 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 But th- th- should taxis be able to take anyone? 
Is it discriminatory that there that some cab companies don't have specially adapted vehicles? Not currently, because right. actually it would be unsafe to require any vehicle to take a taxi when they're not set up to do that. Right. Um, the government are working hard to try and achieve a situation where the majority of taxis will be um, wheelchair accessible in the future. Um, it would be unfair to impose that race suddenly because um, I overheard you talking earlier that you know a lot of small businesses, the taxi drivers, it'd be unfair to mm. expect them very suddenly to have to pay for these expensive adaptations to make their vehicles accessible. Um, in London, since 2000, all um, taxis have been wheelchair accessible. Um, and in other areas of the UK, outside London, um, that's improving drastically. However, outside London in the southeast, we're quite poor. Only 26% of taxis mm. on the roads are wheelchair accessible. That's compared to figures such as in the Midlands, where it's as high as 72%. Mm. So clearly there's um, considerable room for improvement in that respect. And you're right, a lot of these, these, these taxi companies, they're, they're small kind of independent firms. I wouldn't for, for a minute suggest that all of their vehicles have to be, um, uh, you know, fitted so they can take wheelchairs. That would cost a fortune. But it makes sense, doesn't it, to have one or two cars in the fleet that, um, that is, is wheelchair accessible. But they, they don't have to accommodate for that. You can phone, If I was in a wheelchair, I could phone up several companies and they would be quite legally able to say, sorry, mate, we can't take you. If they haven't got any, yes. Right. Yes. Um, there are um, provisions in the Equality Act that um, will contain more specific regulations relating to taxi drivers but these aren't unfortunately yet fully enforced mm. um, but they will provide that a taxi driver who does have um, a wheelchair accessible vehicle which is hoped will be the large proportion in the future mm. um, that it will be an offence for them to refuse to take a disabled passenger if they can, that it will be an offence for them to charge extra for doing so, mm. um, that they have to provide all reasonable assistance in getting that um, disabled passenger in and out of the vehicle. Um, so it's hoped that those will be enforced soon, um, but they're not currently fully enforced. So we was, Edward, we were speaking to earlier on, was, was, was telling us some amazing stories about how he, he booked a cab the cat, black cab, he turned up and it was quite capable of taking a wheelchair and the fella saw him went, ah, oh, sorry mate, actually I've got another job and drove off. Now that would be illegal, wouldn't it? Um, it would potentially be discriminatory if he did that as a result of Edward being in a wheelchair. Right. Unfortunately, the sad truth is that sometimes it's very difficult to prove that. I was going to say, how can you prove that, exactly. really? You can't, can you? It can be very difficult to prove, which is why um, a lot of MPs and charities are currently pushing for this um, new legislation. Well, it's not new legislation, it's existing legislation not yet in force to come into force because that will then make that an offence to do that. Do you get many stories like this? Um, well, I actually ordinarily deal with discrimination law in an employment relationship okay. so i'm an employment lawyer and deal with discrimination in that yeah. aspect okay um so we kind of tend to deal more with um access into and out of work premises and things like that but it is increasingly common yes. and is, is, is the access problems in, in and out of this going on slightly off on a tangent but you're here it'd be silly not to ask you access problems in and out of buildings is, is that is that a growing problem it is it is yeah. i mean it's something that people are working very hard to rectify but it is still uh, it is still a big problem Okay, listen, Peggy, thank you very much for coming in. Peggy Barnard from uh, Discrimination Lawyer from Picton Solicitors in Luton. We did speak to uh, uh, some of the local councils in the three counties, the taxi licence providers. Uh, North Hertfordshire District Council uh, say, we currently licence 200 hackney carriages and 69 private hire vehicles. 17, 17 of these have full wheelchair access. When a vehicle is replaced, it does need to be wheelchair accessible. Central Beds Council says, the council has approximately 230 hackney carriages, of which 206 
a wheelchair accessible is slightly better uh, right there. Drivers who refuse the training to use these vehicles appropriately may be suspended or revoked. And East Hearts Council told BBC Three Counties there's not a lot they can do about it. East Hearts is a rural area. There are only ten licensed black cabs in the area. The rest are saloon cars, which are not suitable for wheelchairs. They sympathise with wheelchair users, um, but they say their advice is to book in advance. Well, David Prever is in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith today. On the big phone-in, he's asking, should all taxi drivers be forced to take disabled passengers? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Abdul is in St Albans. Morning, Abdul. Good morning, Ian. You're, you're a cab driver, are you? Yes, I am. And in fact, I'm one of those uh, cab drivers in a wheelchair accessible vehicle that does loads of wheelchair work. Um, one of the reasons behind that is because there are, uh, and I use the word colleagues very loosely, uh, who don't pick up people in wheelchairs, so therefore I, I get to go around and pick people up. Um, there are fundamentally uh, problems with the licensing regulations uh, which allows that sort of thing to happen. Uh, in St. Albans, for example, uh, we have a licensing authority that tells us that we may not switch the meter on until the wheelchair passenger is secured in the vehicle. Oh, that's and interesting. Then, and then when you get to the destination, the meter goes off first, then you take the wheelchair out. Um, now, that wouldn't be too bad if the person in the wheelchair was ready to travel. Uh, in my case, it takes about four or five minutes to get the person in, secured, and then another four or five minutes to take them out. Yes. A lot of the time, I go to nursing homes, they book the car for a certain time, you get there, the person uh, who is supposed to pick up is not ready to travel. Under normal circumstances, oh. when you get there, you'd put the meter on and wait, quite happily. Yeah. But of course, the bylaws tell me I can't put the meter on uh, until the wheelchair's in the vehicle. Um, so that's, that's, that's why some companies, I suppose, would try to say, well, we'll charge a little bit extra, because they're, they're trying to account for the driver's time. I mean, at the end of the day, it is a business. Um, more importantly, however, uh, as far as companies are concerned, it's not the companies per se that do not pick up passengers in wheelchairs. Each individual hackney carriage uh, uh, licensing office uh, licenses the hackney carriage drivers independently. So, therefore, although the drivers work with a company, mm. they, in legal terms, do not work for the company. They are self-employed. I so see. If, if the company takes the wheelchair job and the driver says, no, I'm not willing to go pick them up, the company cannot force that driver to go and pick them up. And, Abel, you say, you say yes. that you, you do pick up uh, people in, yes. in, in wheelchairs, but some yes, of your I colleagues do. don't. Why, yes. why do they say they don't? Is it because they could be losing money because it could take so long to get them in and out of the car? That is one of the reasons. Um, but it's bizarre what people will come out with. I mean, I, I'm sometimes told, oh, I haven't got my ramps with me. And now, why would you have a wheelchair accessible taxi where you leave the ramps at home? Yeah. Um, sometimes, oh, I've got a backache. So there's all sorts of things. And bearing in mind, we all go through uh, medical tests to get a licence, so if you had backache and you had that much of a problem, you wouldn't pass the medical and you wouldn't be fit to drive a taxi anyway. Um, so, like I said, there's, 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 there's random excuses they come out with, which are not always, you know, uh, the, the correct excuses. But I wholeheartedly lay the blame at the licensing officer. I, I've had numerous conversations with our licensing officer, uh, told them what the situation is that I get back from my clients, um, and it just seems to get swept under the carpet, nothing ever happens. I, I personally feel all it would take would be uh, perhaps a couple of drivers to be taken to court for refusing to pick up people in wheelchairs, maybe a couple of licenses to be revoked, uh, and then the rest would follow suit and, and, and fall into line and do their job properly and say, well, basically, 
Abdul, listen, we have to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. Don't forget, David Prever is carrying on this discussion discussion at nine o'clock as he fills in for Jonathan Vernon-Smith on the big phone and he's asking, should all taxi drivers be forced to take disabled passengers? Now, big day in Luton Town's history as they triumphed over a championship team Wolves to gain a place in the FA Cup fourth round. They can now look forward to a trip to Carrow Road to face Premiership team Norwich. Well, Justin Dealey caught up with these happy fans just after the final whistle. Well, absolutely stunned. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely stunned. I mean, uh, nine minutes of extra time has to be a long, long nine minutes in anybody's life. And for those players, it must have seemed like a lifetime. And for everybody in the stadium, it was, uh, it was exciting, it was thrilling, it was everything the cup was about. Over the moon. Fantastic. Yeah, can't believe. Fourth round draw. First time I can remember for a long time. And I had a funny feeling about it today. I had a funny feeling that we'd do, do an upset. We can get a big game like that down here now and again. Uh, as a sell-out crowd, it was a great atmosphere. Um, you know, it was just a great occasion. So how do you feel this afternoon? You must feel good. Elated. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah absolutely brilliant. But uh, again, the play- just to say that the attitude of the players was totally different today. They really wanted it. They wanted it more than Wolves throughout the whole game. And uh, playing Randell, sticking him on the bench, not playing him, was I think was the was really the main the main reason why I think we won today. We had a bit more in midfield, far more in midfield. Jonathan Smith, man of the match for me, brilliant. Well, joining us on the line now is Luton manager Paul Buckle. Morning, Paul. Morning. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. You're sounding very calm about the whole thing. Is this is this your positive mental attitude? No, I think in in, in football, you know, you um, you enjoy it for a second and then you move on. You know, it's just the way it is. So, um, real contrast from when we lost at Woking. You know, where you sort of get written off for a little bit and then you go beat Wolves. So that's why, that's why I just keep a level head with things. But really, really proud of the players on Saturday. It was a brilliant experience for all of us and, um, you know, we, we certainly enjoyed it. Well, you heard the fans there. The, the fans obviously enjoyed it and you praised the crowd after the game. How important was the home support that you had? Well, I think, you know, by virtue of you asking the question, uh, shows it plays a part it's massive for us huge we we know that we have to get out on the front foot and the the fans pay good money to come in you know and we we go on the pitch to to do good things and you know show them what good team we are but there's no doubt about it when the fans get behind us like they was on saturday because we had nothing to lose we're against the championship side um it can work wonders so it's a case of like i've said all along of of working together, trying to gel the two together, because um, you know Kenilworth Road was was a scary place on um, Saturday, certainly for Wolves, and um, we got what we deserved. Paul, you've got a lot of commitments, haven't you, with the FA Trophy as well as a number of league games? Are you worried that you might be stretching things a bit too too thinly? Well, there's, there's not a lot we can do about it. I mean, if unless we unless we deliberately uh, go out to to play weakened teams or lose games. Um, there's, there's not an awful lot we can do about it. So if we're winning in the trophy and winning in the FA Cup, um, I said I said a while ago it's it's unfair on us that we lose league games, in my opinion. So, but there's not an awful lot I can do about that. So I've tried to create a winning mentality at the club, which uh, which obviously hasn't been there because we've not got out of the division in four seasons or three and a half. So we um, I want to create that first. I've, I've tried to create that at the club, and at the moment. Being in all the cups and the, and the league is, is a good place to be, but as you say, it, it, it comes with the downside of uh, falling behind in the league. Uh, Norwich next. How do you feel about that? Are you happy with 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 that uh, draw? 
I'm absolutely delighted because, you know, obviously people talk about Man United or Arsenal or, or City or Chelsea. Um, but certainly it's a premiership club and it's a it's brilliant for us. We've we've had that experience at home against Wolves, which was amazing. And now it'd be nice for our fans to go to a premiership ground and our players, all of our club. It'd be a brilliant reward for um, a great victory against Wolves. Now, Paul, something I was wondering, uh, will you be staying with the same lineup for tomorrow's match versus Barrow, apart from obviously the unforced change with JJ O'Donnell having a broken nose? The reason being is I think you looked a better team with Gray and Shaw running the front line. Well, we're training today. If you want to come and take the session, that'd be brilliant for me. <laughs> I say that's for me. Listen, Paul, that was that was that was, that was sent that was sent in from John in Luton. To be honest, don't don't, don't think it was me. No, 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 I'm joking. I'm joking. Look, you know, at the end, at the end of the day, everybody wants to keep a, a settled team. It's been very difficult this season to keep a settled side. We, we lose JJ. Uh, John Shaw's got a huge cut on his on his head. So, again, it's assessing it. If we could keep the same team every week, that would be brilliant for me. Listen, best of luck. Keep up the good work. And uh, yeah, we'll speak to you when you win, win the next game. Cheers, Paul. Thanks a lot. Cheers, mate. There we go. Paul Buckle. For a second there, I sounded like I knew what I was talking about. Didn't I? Didn't I just? I, I didn't. Uh, that was sent in from, uh, from John in Luton. And look, I made a football man laugh with my pretend knowledge sometimes <laughs> sometimes I, listen i don't know anything about football and i i enjoy talking to people like that because I, I genuinely find it fascinating because it's something that's so different from um from my world okay but uh um sometimes i wish i liked football because you heard those fans that were speaking to justin before before the report there right and they were so excited and so enthusiastic and they had something in their lives that I haven't got. I'm still waiting for Dealey to uh, take me to a football match. We keep talking about it, and it's not happened yet. I'm hoping it happens at some point soon. Dealey, if you're listening, where are we going? Now, if you or your partner earns more than £50,000, you're going to lose part of your child benefit. If um, uh, one of you earns above £60,000, it will be fully withdrawn. It's because of changes which came into effect at midnight. The government hopes to save £1.5 billion a year to help reduce the deficit. But how will it impact you? Well, our reporter Serena Farrow spoke to parents in Harpenden and St Albans. We're very typically the squeeze middle. We pay for everything. We're entitled to nothing. Child benefit was the only thing we received from the state that's gone now but my real concern is that working parents who are entitled to child benefit have their pension payments protected for as long as they're in receipt of child benefit if you're no longer in receipt of child benefit you're no longer entitled to pension protection and that by stealth will push a lot of non-working mothers stay-at-home mothers out of the pension system and a lot of mothers will find that when they get to the age of 65 we're not entitled to a pension because we weren't in receipt of child benefit we had child benefit when we were kids you know my mum always used to pay for everything for us at child benefit and you know we pay our taxes just like everyone else but i think that the pension thing is obviously a bit of a concern i was probably using that money for savings anyway so it just means you won't get so much for savings everyone's got to make cut back somewhere and everyone's going to make a complaint whoever they focus on i thought it was a bonus i got it at the time you know living here it's expensive you know everything and we've got four children and we use it for their activities and how much roughly will you be losing in a month 242 pounds yeah, so all their little extras, all the activities and things they do, it's going to hit us hard. Well, Liz Blower lives in Bedfordshire. She thinks it's completely...
completely unfair. Have a listen to what she says, because a couple of you found this a little bit uh, controversial. I'm the sole breadwinner. My husband's been unemployed for 11 months, and I've got two children under the age of six, and it does help greatly. But because of my salary, they won't give them job seekers, they won't help with our council tax, they won't help with our rent. We get nothing from the government, and they're about to take my child benefit. And that's all because you earn, well, substantial amount. Yeah. Yeah. Do you earn a good salary of £60,000 over the band that they're going to cut to? We're comfortable, we're okay, but it's an issue. And I'm not happy. Well, and I don't think it should apply to necessarily what you earn as a home, but what each child requires and also what the individual circumstances are. So you think it should be assessed on the individual case? Absolutely. I know they have to, you know, a certain guideline in place for families. I understand certain families need it more than others. But, you know, we pay our taxes, he's paid his taxes, and he still doesn't get anything from the government. It will just mean that we'll have to cut back on, you know, outings to the cinema or going shopping, and Christmas wasn't as extravagant as it should have been, but we knew this was happening. Well, the Prime Minister told the Andrew Marr Show on the BBC, uh, BBC One at the weekend that the government had to cut spending. You cannot deal with a deficit just by taking more in tax from the very richest, although we are, or, nor can you deal with a deficit just by uh, combating welfare fraud mm. and evasion and, and, and excessive welfare at the bottom. You need to make sure that everyone is making their contribution. This mm. will raise £2 billion a year. Now, if we don't raise that £2 billion from that group of people, the better off 15% in the country, we'd have to find somewhere else to take it. Well, you've been having your say on Facebook. Darren says, if someone on wages of over a grand a week can't cope with the £20, ben- uh, £20 benefit, maybe one less takeaway a week is in order, or a couple of bottles of wines taken off the shopping list. Uh, Michael says, whilst I agree that those on the sort of money involved should not receive the child benefit, the government have come up with a very clumsy way of achieving the change. The HMRC can't deal with the number of people they already have to deal with, as it took me many phone calls and letters to get my tax affairs in order when I retired and had to deal with three different tax offices. And Steve says, why not just scrap it and add it into the child tax credit? Be much easier to administer rather than the two systems they have now. One for tax credits and one for child benefits. It's, uh, it's only got you talking. You can go to the Facebook page any time you want and leave your comments up there. Facebook.com forward slash BBC 3CR. And I've said this before. We kind of do these stories that we find and we see happening and people come to us. If there's something out there that's happening to you and it can be huge or it can be a tiny, tiny thing. If you think it's relevant and that we should be talking about it on this show... Uh, then do send us an email anytime, 3cr at bbc.co.uk. That's how we get some of our best stories. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Marking the subject, Ian Lee, breakfast. Ah, there we go. We made it. Now, after four hours sleep, part of that which was ruined by me sleepwalking, I'm going to go for a little swim and then go home and sleep for the rest of the day. I'm back tomorrow morning at six o'clock. Stick around. David Pree was up next. Ta-ta. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Go to sleep, young man. Go to bed now.